This week on Geek Explained, we're celebrating 82 years of Superman by taking a look at his history on the silver screen. So join us for a full retrospective on Superman in film with returning special guest, Matt Draper. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about Superman. April 2020 marks 82 years since the debut of Action Comics number one, and uh, Superman's looking pretty good for his age. So I figured to wrap up the month, we are going to look at his history in film. And who better to do that with than the guest who helped me look at the retrospective of Batman in film. Matt Draper. We've also got the latest weekly review on the newest episode of Harley Quinn Season 2, as well as this week's comics callback. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Right, guys and dolls, so we've got some news for you. Um, it's pretty interesting, not gonna lie. So we've got our four categories, of course, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, and nothing in the comics front, but something very interesting in the other three categories. We're gonna start off with miscellaneous news, and it's... Um, it's not great news. <laughs> Unfortunately, it looks like, at least on Twitter, a former disgruntled employee from Naughty Dog has gone onto Reddit and leaked plot elements of The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, this is ahead of its uh, original uh, release date that was supposed to come in May. There's been rumors that it's going to move to like June 16th, um, but there's been no confirmation. And now um, it's looking like there might be some issues there as well, because from what this, and I haven't looked because I, I am a huge stickler for spoilers, but a lot of the stuff that this guy has posted has apparently been tried to t be taken down by uh, Naughty Dog. So we can kind of, through hearsay verify the authenticity of what this person has posted and it just looks like they i guess got fired or something along those lines and they decided in retaliation to release a bunch of plot elements for the upcoming game uh this also kind of puts a spotlight on naughty dog and not a good spotlight um because since the leak, reports have been coming out about how Naughty Dog has been engaging in crunch, which I didn't even know was a term, but on doing like further, um, further research on the term, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, they basically tried to cram uh, right around six months to a year's worth of development time into the past four months, which is not good in body, mind, or soul. Uh, there have been complaints about overwork. There have been complaints about 
long hours. Uh, there was some report that there was like a late night construction accident that happened while employees were still in the building because they were working so late. Uh, so it's it's not a good look for Naughty Dog, and it's an unfortunate um, it's an unfortunate chain of events that happens pretty much right before their big. Um, magnum opus release that we've been waiting on for years and some even some people who you know got on to the game long before i did uh even longer and it's unfortunate because i know that this game is very anticipated and the fact that uh some of its bigger plot elements have been leaked and spoiled for people is really unfortunate so that sucks uh jumping into the tv realm i think it's good news some other people might not think it's good news but uh jeff johns of multiple dc comics fame and also infamy uh has officially joined the hbo max green lantern series as both a consultant and writer I think this is a good news. Um, Jeff Johns has a certain love for the Green Lantern mythos, and having him on board can only, um, in my personal opinion, of course, uh, can only improve what the strong base is that hopefully the Green Lantern series has around it with the showrunner uh, being Greg Berlanti, who also seems to have a big love for adapting um, DC characters into live action. I think it's good. Some other people who are not Jeff Johns fans, especially in the past 10 years, may not think of this as a positive development, but I do. I think it's a great pickup, and I think that his contributions, especially with all the good stuff that I'm hearing about Stargirl, um, is good because when Jeff Johns is passionate about something and when he really wants to put his all into it, Great stuff happens. So that is it for TV news. Moving on to film news. Uh, it's both, you know, it's a mixed bag because we've got good news and bad news. Um, the good news, Venom. Venom 2 has officially gotten its title. It is now Venom Let There Be Carnage, which is the most hardcore 90s um, 90s title that they could have thought of. 90s slash early 2000s when everything was edgy. Uh, we are slowly, steadily making our way back into that, which feels weird, but um, it's a cool title, and I think it sets up right then and there that Carnage is going to be the main villain, and there is going to be some shit that goes down. Um, unfortunately, in the same week that the title was dropped, they also announced that it is getting delayed. Boo! Uh, Venom will now be moving from October of this year to June 25th, 2021. And unfortunately, that is not the only delay that is going to be happening over at Sony Pictures. So I've got the full list right here. And it looks like uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse's sequel, Spider-Man Into the, Into the Spider-Verse 2, however they're going to label it, um, is now going to be moved back from April 8th, 2022 to October 7th, 2022. I think that could be a good thing, just because the closer it is to like that Christmas time release that the first film got... I think that's a positive, but it does suck that we have to wait for it longer now. Uh, Spider-Man 3, whatever they end up calling it, I'm still holding out that uh, they're going to call it Hometown Hero. That's the title I've had in my mind since Homecoming came out. Um, going from Homecoming to Far From Home and Hometown Hero, I think is a good... Um, 
a good journey to make, but who knows? Who knows what they're going to call it? We do know that Home is going to be in the title. I don't know what exactly they're going to call it, but we do know that it has been uh, moved from November 5th, 2020, or no, it's been moved from July 16th, 2021 to November 5th, 2021. And with that, we've seen an interesting shakeup with two other Marvel films because of this. Now, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was originally, it had just been moved when they did that big Marvel slate that we talked about a couple weeks ago to November 5th, 2021. And now it's been moved back to March 25th, 2022. Now, the reason that's interesting is because it also affects Thor Love and Thunder, Thor 4, which was originally going to release on February 18th, 2022, and is now moving up a week to February 11th, 2022. The reason that's interesting is because this has never happened before. We've never seen a shakeup where two films that were originally slated to come out um, in a certain order, were switched. Doctor Strange 2 was originally supposed to come out before Thor 4, but now, with this new uh, shaken-up slate, Thor 4 is now going to pop up before Doctor Strange 2. Uh, we've never seen that before. It could mean nothing, but the serialized nature of Marvel films up till this point has really banked on the teases that come after the ends of each movie leading into the next release. And how this is going to shake up, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is going to make a difference at all. But if it does, and we see kind of a disjointed um, treatment when it comes to tease for the next movie, uh, that will probably be the reason why. But overall, it's... A lot of shakeups, a lot of movements. Uh, Venom 2, you know, Venom Let There Be Carnage, I think was a great announcement. I am hoping that with the delay, because as far as I know, principal photography for that is done, but we'll just have to see exactly what happens. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I wasn't the biggest fan of the first Venom film, but I am really interested in all of the moving parts that they've brought into the sequel, and we'll just have to see where it goes. So that does it for the news this week. Uh, we're going to be shaking up the order of the segments this week, like I do with every single uh, guest spot on this podcast, and we are going to dive right into... It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing season two of Harley Quinn, specifically episode four entitled Thawing Hearts. Now, this episode was really interesting. It didn't go in the direction that I thought it was. The last episode really set up that Mr. Freeze was kind of going to be the big uh big bad that Harley and crew were going to go after in the next episode or two. But this episode really kind of takes you for a ride all over the place. Uh, there's really two main plots 
Harley and the rest of the crew are going after Mr. Freeze, while Ivy and Kite Man, who proposed to Ivy at the end of last episode, are going to basically try to get their wedding venue. And it's at this church that Kite Man has been obsessing with since he was a small child. Um, it was really interesting to see the kind of reverse dynamic uh, between that classic, like, TV-esque, like, you know, Kite Man saying that he's been dreaming about getting married here since he was a little boy and like just kind of having I guess the gender role switch was really interesting and I really liked that and it also established that Kite Man has an arch nemesis and it's not who you think it is in fact Condiment King using more or less the um the Batman the Animated Series uh, design of Condiment King, just making him a little bit more uh, portly, I guess is the word. Uh, it was really funny just seeing the two of them kind of competing to win the favor of the uh, building manager. I thought it was really funny. The A plot, though, involved Harley and her crew going after Mr. Freeze in his territory. And they did a really smart thing here where they, where they decided to take you away from the... Uh, I guess the formula of the last couple episodes where it's been very focused on Harley getting back at all of the Injustice League members and really kind of focused on the fact that Mr. Freeze is kind of a good guy. They talked about how um, the rest of the Injustice League members wanted to kill her, but he wanted to freeze her and him talking about, you know, those chauvinist male, you know, sexist, blah, blah, blahs. Um, it was really funny and like King Shark had a wicked line where he was just like, you just screwed over the most woke villain in Gotham. It was just funny. Um, and they really put a focus on Nora and Victor, which I like. I always like when you take Mr. Freeze stories and you put the focus squarely on his relationship with Nora. Um, they made a really interesting choice by having Nora, who is normally seen in a very, um, I guess, serene, calm, sleeping state. Her being frozen in kind of this, like, shocked, like, um, terrorized look on her face really raised some questions. And we've seen in the in the past, in the New 52, and I'll never forgive the New 52 for doing this, um, they changed up the, uh, the backstory for Nora and Victor in that Nora has no idea who Victor is, and Victor just obsesses over this woman, stalked her, and is now, he basically froze her to stop her from leaving him. And it's this really interesting dynamic, and I wasn't sure if they were going to go that route, because that is my least favorite uh, version of the backstory. I much prefer it where Nora and Victor are star-crossed lovers, and thankfully that's the direction that they went with he with this episode. Um, it also really, I, I think it really um, did a great thing in that it showed that Harley's um, development is still flawed. Her idea of love, as flawed as it was in the first season and how she was obsessed about the Joker, is now better but still flawed because now she thinks that every relationship is just like her relationship. It's a really interesting kind of flip in her mindset where 
Uh, normally, Harley Quinn is very much of the mind that no one's relationship is like mine and Mr. J's, and that's why it's so special. And now she has a much more cynical view of love uh, due to the events of the first season, and so she views that every relationship is just like hers. And it seems like the only relationship that might be an exception at this point in time is uh, Kite Man and Ivy's, though, again, that might um, that might change. We'll see. But... I really liked that Harley Quinn like went after uh, Nora and was like, you know, we're going to save her from you, blah, blah, blah. And then when she wakes up, she immediately goes into this like Jane Austen style, like waxing poetic about her love. And everyone's like, oh, you really messed up. And Harley has to deal with the consequences and the fact that she's letting her prejudices and her experiences ruin the um, experiences and relationships of other people. And so with that, with that being said, we also got to see the strength of her bond with Ivy. And in that, the strength of the bond between Ivy and Kite Man. Uh, Kite Man willing to walk away from his dream, his dream wedding venue, just so that he could help out Ivy is really just, hell yeah. I love Kite Man. He's amazing. He was amazing before, but he's even more amazing in this show. It really is awesome. Um, and ultimately, in a swerve that I really didn't see coming, um, they killed Mr. Freeze, just like they killed Penguin in the first episode. And I am shocked that they are going through with offing these villains like permanently because people, you know, we, we know that Bruce and the Joker are still alive in some form or fashion, but these villains are dead like they are physically dead um mr freeze i guess there is room if they want to mess with that or if they want to turn nora into mrs freeze like she is now in the comics um but penguin is for sure dead he is brutally killed in the first episode and i'm really interested to see where this goes uh the showrunner has said that he envisioned the first two seasons as just one long season of 26 episodes so i'm interested to see if that was supposed to be like if there's a way that they can uh, continue the story on with harley theoretically offing all the villains except maybe riddler who's still captured um, it's going to be interesting. I'm really intrigued to see where the rest of the season goes. We've got lots of time. We're not even halfway through the season yet. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Um, really, really loved the moment where Victor is giving his life up for Nora. That like moment where they're reaching out for each other and he dies before he can touch her hand. It is, oh, it gets you. It really gets you in the feels. I was surprised. But um, I, that is, of course, offset with everyone just trying to, like, c console Nora. And she's like, oh, my God, get out of here. Like, just, oh, it's it's really good. They, they strike a really good balance on touching and tender and really um, sentimental moments with really just audacious comedy. So really enjoyed this week's episode. Um, might be the strongest episode this season. I know I said that last episode, but I genuinely think that they are rolling with what they did last season and really every episode being better than the last. So I'm looking forward to seeing where they go from here. We don't really have a through line to who she's going to, who the Harley gang is going to go after next. If it were me, I would save Bane till last because I love Bane and I want him to cherish and prosper. But I'm assuming that with the, um, 
extracurriculars that uh, Psycho and King Shark went through uh, last episode or the episode before that we're going to see him sooner rather than later. So overall, really good episode. Really looking forward to next week's. And yeah, stay tuned for our review of that. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Callback. Welcome back to this week's Comics Callback. This is the segment of our show where each week I talk about five comics that you should go back and read. Whether it's on Comixology, the DC Universe app, or just going back to your shelf and dusting off your copy of the book. Last week we took a look at X-Men comics that you should go back and read. This week category is Superman Analogs. That's right. To synergize with our main uh, entree of the episode. I thought it would be cool not to talk about the top five Superman comics because that's that's something that I would have to put some like huge thought into and could be an episode entirely unto itself. But I wanted to take a look at five comics that are showcasing Superman analogs, characters that were either inspired or ripped off Superman. And it's... There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of characters um, who have been kind of derived from Superman. Um, the early to mid 40s into the 50s saw this explosion of Superman clones from all different kinds of comics companies looking to get their own slice of the cake, the proverbial cake that is the Superman success. And throughout the years, there have been some really good Superman. Stories along with some really bad Superman like stories. And these are the top five stories that I think you should go back if you want to get a Superman like story but with a twist. And we're going to start off in the world of Marvel Comics with Adam Legend of the Blue Marvel number one. This is written by Kevin Graveau. I probably said that wrong and I apologize. With art by Matt Broom. We're going to dive into the synopsis and then we'll talk about the book. An unstoppable supervillain attacks New York City, and the mighty Avengers fall before him. Where did Anti-Man come from, and who can stop his overwhelming rampage? Now, Iron Man races to find the only man who's ever defeated Anti-Man, the Blue Marvel, a hero the world hasn't seen since 1961. Will Tony Stark uncover the truth behind Blue Marvel's disappearance? And will Blue Marvel ever recover from it? So this is something that I don't think a whole lot of people know about. And that is a shame. Because Blue Marvel, um, also known as Adam Bashir, is one of my favorite Superman analogs. He's just so cool. And this story is essentially his entry point into the Marvel Universe. Um, in much the same way that Marvel did for another character who may or may not be on this list. They kind of retroactively put him into the history of Marvel by putting him in a really complicated situation. You see, Blue Marvel, also known as Adam Bashir, is an African-American man who became a superhero in the late 50s to early 60s. Now, this is prior to the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement was still um, growing at that point. So 
the Blue Marvel at this point in time wore this full body costume that concealed his identity, but more, even more so concealed his skin color. And during a climactic battle against his arch rival, his costume is torn and the public sees that the Blue Marvel is an African-American man. And this being 1961, it's complicated how things go. Um, and the premise of that is just really, really cool. Getting to see how politics have their own place in superheroes. I know lots of people are like, take politics out of Superman and out of comic books, but comic books at their core have inherently been political, like, ever since World War II, the early 1940s, when uh, comic books would have their superheroes, you know, trying to sell war bonds on their covers. So I think when it's used correctly, it can be a really good place to um, grow narratively. And this comic does a really good job with that both mirroring the um, kind of the uh, discrimination and the pain that Adam had to deal with in having to ha basically having his identity essentially broadcast to the world at a time where it was not good or not, I don't want to say good. It wasn't, um, it, it was complicated. <laughs> I keep using that word, but um, it was complicated to be an African-American superhero and kind of mirroring that with at the time when this came out, this was back in 2008, 2009. So this is post-Civil War, pre-Secret Invasion. Tony Stark is running S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, there's a lot of complications going on in the modern Marvel Universe. So bringing this character back and showing... Um, showing how he has to deal with the world and how he's basically can, been kind of forced to sit idly by as the decades went on because of his um, because of his traumatic experience at the end of his original superhero career is really, really interesting. And going forward from here, Blue Marvel joins the Mighty Avengers, he joins the Ultimates, and he's just a great character that I really think more people should know about. This specific miniseries, I don't I don't really like the art. I'm not a huge fan of it, per se. Um, that's just my personal um, uh, my personal opinion. I'm not a huge fan of the art, but the writing is really, really stellar, and it's a great story to get you on board with this character to see where he goes in the Marvel Universe. Next up, we have Astro City number one, written by Kurt Busiek with art by Brent Anderson. Um, Astro City is one of those tentpole comics that people don't seem to talk about enough. I mean, if you're a big fan of comics, if you are, you know, neck deep in short and long boxes like I am, uh, you probably have at least heard of Astro City, but the, uh, the mainstream comic or superhero fan who really only knows, you know, Marvel Studios and those DC movies who don't really know how to have fun, um, don't really know Astro City, which is a shame because Astro City is one of the most interesting takes on a superhero universe ever period. Um, the original series was uh, 1995 to 1996, though it has seen revivals and it now reaches over 100 issues, including miniseries and stuff. But specifically, I wanted to take a look at this first issue uh, because it, of course, was the first issue of the series and also puts a spotlight on their Superman, which in this universe is known as Samaritan. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Meet Astro City's greatest hero, Samaritan, who uses his job at the newspaper to find out and stop crimes and disasters. For a hero who spends his day defending others, can he ever find time for himself? So, pretty easy to see the parallels between Samaritan and Superman. And it becomes even more clear when you actually open up the issue and you get to see how Samaritan balances his life as a, not a writer, but specifically, basically a proofreader. He's the one who goes in after writers have submitted their articles, fact checks, proofreads, and makes sure that the articles are on the up and up before they publish them. And so you get to see, it's basically a day in the life, which is really technically what the first miniseries of Astro City was. Each issue was a different day in the life of a different hero in that universe. Um, instead of the Justice League, this universe has the Honor Guard. And instead of Superman, this universe has the Samaritan. Now, the Samaritan doesn't have the exact same power set as Superman. And, you know, to be clear, neither did Blue Marvel. He had his own host of, like, a energy-based abilities, but this uh, character is much more closely aligned to the um, to the classic kind of uh, idea concept of what Superman is, and this issue is really cool because you basically take from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to, goes to sleep, and you see how meticulous his day is, how he plans every single um, moment and event in his day to make sure that he has time enough to sleep. And watching him, you know, arrive to his disasters and, like, his thought bubble will be, like, 2.5 seconds. Like, tracking how long it takes for him to not only get to situations but to solve them is a really cool take that we don't often think about enough. And I really, really enjoy it. I think it's a cool concept. And the ending of this book is really, really nice. Wraps it up in a neat little bow while also giving you kind of a sense of melancholy. This character um, has a lot on his plate and a lot he has to deal with. And so you get the sense that he doesn't have a lot of fun in his day. And this issue really answers that question of does he ever have time to enjoy himself so it's a great read it's really quick and it starts you off and kind of gets you into the mindset of what the the astro series is and if you like this issue you should absolutely go back and read the entire series especially astro astro city issue number one half one of my favorite comic book stories probably ever regardless of company and it is absolutely worth your time but for this specific list definitely check out astro city number one next up we have another marvel book i know i know we already had one marvel book but this one is pretty pretty good and this is the century from the year 2000 written by paul jenkins with art by jai lee um this was what marvel did with uh blue marvel before they had come up with that idea. Um, this character, the Sentry, is a lot. It was originally part of the uh, Marvel Knights um, sub-brand underneath Marvel, and this story is so cool. I'm just going to go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Your name is Bob Reynolds. You know you were once a superhero. You were the Sentry. But then something terrible happened, something that caused the leader of the Fantastic Four to betray you, 
And now it's happening again. And the sentry must return. On the edge of alcoholism and a failed marriage, Bob Reynolds wakes up to discover his true nature. A forgotten hero, he must unravel the conspiracy to erase his memory from mankind before an evil entity returns. So, basically, it's like, what if you woke up one day after having lived your entire life and you suddenly remembered, oh yeah, I used to be a superhero. Like, it's one of those great stories that uh, we don't often get to see about the retired superhero or the forgotten superhero, and it's a story that I really, really enjoy. And it was done to near perfection here in the century. I am a huge fan of Jaylee's art, big, big fan of his, and Paul Jenkins writes a hell of a script, especially for the story. Um, this was before Marvel had really decided how they were going to start like cleanly retconning their stuff. So you have to have a certain amount of um, suspension of disbelief to assume that this character was a part of the Marvel Universe for a good long while before he eventually just wasn't, and no one suddenly remembers him. But overall, it's a really cool story talking about uh, the duality of man, how the greatest hero could also be the world's greatest villain, um, and kind of also touches back on the inspiration for this. I got a... Um, I got a message from Dante Barber, regular uh, fan of the podcast. Shout out to him, who uh, told me to check out... Um, Irredeemable, a story that I had heard a lot about, but I hadn't read before. So I'm currently in the middle of reading it. Thanks, Dante, for the recommendation. It is awesome. Um, but that really was the inspiration to start looking at characters who Superman may have inspired. And the Sentry is, for all intents and purposes, um, Marvel Superman. Uh, I guess you could kind of juggle between him, Blue Marvel, and Hyperion, but uh, the Sentry is a fantastic character, and this story does a great job at introducing him to the Marvel Universe. Next up, we are jumping ship over to DC Comics, and I know, I know it's a little cheating because Superman's in DC and the rest of these stories haven't been from DC, but this one has to be on the list because it is, of course, Convergence Shazam. Um, I love this. I've talked about this before on the podcast. I love this story. It is a two-part, uh, basically two-part one-and-done tie-in to the bigger Convergence event, but for me, it is just, it's the best one. It's right up there with the Convergence Superman uh, two-parter. It is a fantastic tie-in and a fantastic story unto itself. Uh, it's written by Jeff Parker with art by Evan Doc Shaner, one of my favorite artists. And this story is just, ah, oh, it's so good. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Starring heroes from Crisis on Infinite Earths, it's Shazam vs. Steampunk as the world of Gotham by Gaslight takes on the Captain Marvel family and friends. So it's a pretty simple synopsis, but um, basically if you aren't familiar with the Convergence event, um, it happened because DC was moving its headquarters from New York to Los Angeles, and they needed a filler event, so they decided let's do an event that is essentially our version of Secret Wars, where they took all of the former DC continuities, put them on a battle world that's totally not battle world, um, and pitted them against each other, and really what this is is... Um, classic Earth-5 Captain Marvel versus Gotham by Gaslight. But the 
the battle between the two worlds doesn't really start until issue two. Issue one is all about dealing with Billy Batson in a world where he used to be Captain Marvel. And it's a really fun look into their world because it's a very old school, uh, classic 50s sensibilities. And I'm a sucker for telling uh, stories in that era, especially Captain Marvel slash Shazam stories. So it's a great little two-issue um, story, self-contained, really nice. And it just pains me that we haven't gotten an ongoing with Shayner on art. It's such a great story and is absolutely worth your time. But the big book that I think you should go back if you're a fan of Superman, if you love Superman, but you want to find stories of Superman characters who go in widely different directions, I think the best book that you can pick up is Huck. Written by Mark Millar with art by Raphael Albuquerque, Huck is an incredible story. Um, it is just the way that it was described to me because um, I initially didn't know anything about it and I was recommended it when the first issue came out by Malcolm back at Heroes and Villains in Tucson, shout out to him, who said to me that this is the best Superman story that doesn't feature Superman. And after reading it, He's absolutely right. Um, let's dive into the synopsis and then I'll talk about what I mean. In a quiet seaside town, Huck uses his special gifts to do a good deed each day. His neighbors return the favors by keeping his abilities a secret. But when a newcomer alerts the media, a firestorm erupts, sending Huck on an adventure that will change everything. I've talked before and I... Love the idea of Smallville knowing Clark's secret, but keeping his secret because they're all such a tight-knit community. Um, Huck's small town does exactly this. And the first issue is just like uh, the Astro City issue where he is just a day in the life doing favors for people. And I love that. He's a very simple character, has simple means, and doesn't really want for anything. But... His world is turned upside down when he finds out that the people who might be responsible for his abilities want him back. It's a fantastic story that really deals with the heart of what it means to be abnormal, what it means to be different, and how you are at the heart of it, um, in charge of your own destiny. It's a great story, it's an amazing series, and I absolutely think you should go check it out. Out. So that is it. That is it for the comics callback of the five Superman analog stories I think you should go back and check out. To recap, we have Adam, Legend of the Blue Marvel, Astro City number one, The Sentry, Shazam, or Convergence, Shazam, excuse me, and Huck. Uh, you can find pretty much all of these on uh, Comixology, or feel free to order them through Amazon, or give your local comic shop if they're still doing like uh, mail-out orders. Call them up, see if they have these volumes available, and order them. Please, if you are able to, um, to give back to your local comic book shop, please do so. Uh, this is a really tough time for uh, for local businesses, especially comic shops, especially with the uncertainty going on with all of the um, COVID-19 stuff going on, lots of closures, diamond going down temporarily. So anything that you can do to help out your local comic book shop, definitely do so. And that is 
it for the comics callback for this week. We are now going to roll right on to the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, which is a full retrospective of Superman in film with guest Matt Draper. All right, so rounding out the month of April, we are celebrating Superman's birthday. Action Comics came out this time in 1938 in April, and I thought it would be a great little thing to put together a whole retrospective on Superman films. And I kind of needed some help with that, so I brought in the... YouTube extraordinaire, comic book essayist, and now I think we can add to his resume convention host. Matt Draper is joining the show once again. How you doing, Matt? Thank you for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's have another in, entirely far too in-depth, excessively <laughs> long conversation about superhero movies. I had someone talk to me. Um, it was like the week after we recorded the Batman retrospective mm-hmm. where he was like, yeah, man, you know, I, I thought you were just going to talk about the Nolan films. And I looked at the runtime and I was like, they're they're really getting in depth here. And that he just was not ready for how de- <laughs> how deep we went. With all that history. I don't think anyone was. I don't think we were. No, we weren't. I remember <laughs> at the end of that, I was like, oh, my God, it's been three hours. <laughs> I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was It was a great time. And so <laughs> I thought you were the perfect person to bring back and do a Superman retrospective on this. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to talk about Superman. I'm, I'm always more than happy to talk about Superman. More, maybe more so than actually talking about Batman. I, I would agree. I've been a lifelong Superman fan, and uh, you're actually coming off of a freshly, um, freshly brewed Superman talk yourself at the At Home Comic Con this past weekend, as of this recording. That's right. Yeah, we uh, as myself, uh, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Godzilla Mendoza, and Diego Rivera, all other YouTubers. We talked about what it would take to make the first truly good Superman game, and uh, well. I mean, I thought they were good ideas. We'll see if, it, if someone actually takes it and makes a good Superman game one day. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought my only critique is there was a distinct lack of rings in the sky. But <laughs> I think beyond that, it was a perfect game. Oh, great. You know, we can throw in the rings. Really, they can be an afterthought. <laughs> There's the rings over there and some over there. And they were good. <laughs> just enough. Just enough. <laughs> um, and you can actually... Our listeners can actually go and watch that on the At Home Comic Con YouTube channel, right? It's on the At Home Comic Con YouTube channel. I have one on my channel, too. Um, mm-hmm. and I think uh, Diego put one a version on his channel, too. Awesome. So you, you have no excuse not to go watch this. You have so many avenues to do so. But what we're talking about here today is Superman films. Now, do you remember, Matt, what your first Superman film was? What was the first Superman film you ever watched? 
The first Superman film that I ever watched was definitely the original Superman from 1978. Um, I think I, it was it was running um, as a movie of the week, you know, one night on like ABC or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. And that was definitely the first Superman movie that I saw. But my, I'd already been, been exposed to Superman from the, I think the animated series probably, and of course the, um, the, the comics too. So yeah, yeah, I had some already. I was already prepped for Superman. What yeah, about you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous that you got to see the first Superman film first because I, just like you, I had been introduced to Superman through the animated series and also picking up, you know, comics as a wee lad, but. My first Superman film was Superman 4 Quest for Peace mm. because I saw him and I saw him fighting somebody who looked sort of like him <laughs> and we I was like oh it's going to be a, it's going to be a big old fight and I was not blown away even as a child <laughs> yeah <laughs> like what is this what why is Superman doing this <laughs> so um we are going to dive just like we did with our Batman films from the beginning all the way up to modern day. We are going to I'm going to make a quick disclaimer here. We are excluding the Kirk Allen Superman serials as well as the um, serialized movie Superman and the Mole Men, which starred Christopher Reeves in his or not Christopher Reeves, George Reeves in his yes. first appearance as Superman. And that's wild. Like he started off in a movie and then went into television. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who does that these days, right? But different world back then. It absolutely was. But um, those films, they have their charm. They're pretty much just as good quality-wise as, like, the Batman serials that we talked about before. Right, right. Um, so the one that I think we both agreed on that we really wanted to talk about to start off first are the Fleischer animated films. Yes, yes. Now, so these uh, rolled from 1941 to 1943, uh, they were distributed by Paramount Pictures. I thought that was really interesting. They mm. weren't Warner Brother properties until much, much later. And they were initially uh, put out by Fleischer Studios. They did the first uh, nine episodes. Right. And Famous Studios kind of picked up the slack. And I believe there was some kind of like carryover from Fleischer to Famous. And then they did the final eight episodes. Right, right. And I think Fleischer technically went out of business uh, mm. and that's what happened to, for the studio carryover. Yeah. And this, um, this, I, I have to talk about this cause I was doing the research and I thought this mm. was hilarious. Um, the Fleischer brothers didn't want to do this. They huh. were look they were on the rise on their uh, studio productions and Paramount came to them and they're like, we want you to make Superman cartoons basically to release to theaters because back then back in the good old 40s cartoons would play before big films they'd have newsreels in front of them it was like an event and so they came to Fleischer the Fleischer brothers they're like okay so we want you to make this many episodes and the Fleischer brothers said okay we'll do it for $100,000 per episode <laughs> thinking that that was just going to be way too much for them and they were going to get out easily. And so Paramount was like, you know what? We'll do 50,000 and you've got yourself a deal. So the Fleischer brothers were essentially shanghaied into <laughs> doing these films and they're like, well, I guess we got to make the best of them. 
and they <laughs> they started this is one of my favorite superman actors because it features bud collier in the lead mm-hmm. role and he would later go on to voice the character in the uh radio serials oh yes my yes. my just memories of him just i mean not memories obviously of like watching it live but like the times that i've heard it uh he was the voice of superman when he did you know the clan of the fiery cross and the radio serials Mm -hmm. and just hearing the different voice that he would do between clark and superman Mm -hmm. was always really really cool just to go back and even watching these back just hearing that difference was it made all the all the all the um uh made all the difference in the world yeah absolutely and the way that he would um transition the voices to like mid-sentence uh, yeah. just like the class like he would be like this looks like a job for superman like he'd like <laughs> lower an octave or two like as he transitioned and yeah and then of course the the um the intro too, right the faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive able to leap tall buildings in a single bound you know that it's just like you don't even have to have seen these to have that already imprinted in your brain because it like made such like an Im- impact on the just public perception of Superman for like so long. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's incredibly smart when it comes to producing because within that little intro, those three to four sentences, you need, you know, everything you need to know about Superman. It's like, all right, you know, all the stuff, let's move on. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting about when watching them all, um, all one after the other, back to back. Uh, it's really clear that the first nine were done by a different studio than the last eight episodes. Yes, <laughs> because just the first nine, um, just beyond like the the budget and the actual like animation, the stories were vastly different. Like the first nine were very much about uh, sci-fi, fighting organized crime, and then all of a sudden you go into the final eight, and it was all wartime propaganda. There's an yes. episode called "The Japa Tours." Oof, yes, yes, there is. <laughs> what a different time that was—an <laughs> extremely different time. Yeah, that, that that's right because. Yeah, and it wasn't even that long. I'm looking at the list here. Uh, the final Fleischer one, Terror on the Midway, was August 1942. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that one, the first one of the famous studios, was September 18th, 1942. So they were like, let's keep going, keep going. Like As these were coming out, I'm sure Fleischer finished them well ahead of time. Like, keep going. Like, okay, you famous studios, you're in. Do the thing. You know. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting like that, at least from what I can gather like that was one of the first big like superheroes used as propaganda type um, Mm -hmm. methods where like the comics also did this when it came to the covers at the time you know it'd have superman you know overseas smacking around hitler and it never like equated to what the actual story was but it was always (laughs) like hey pick up this comic your favorite superhero is gonna punch hitler in the jaw (laughs) <laughs> and then you open the book and it's like, oh, man, he's fighting that dastardly Lex Luthor again. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the first original Superman comics, the first one, a lot of them, he's just fighting normal crime. You know, he's defending the poor and the disadvantaged and he's, you know, fighting people that just take advantage of them. Right. So I think, you know, him moving from like normal crime to, uh, you know, fighting the Nazis is not a huge leap because you could see that too. It's funny that we have this crossover right now because I'm in the middle of making a video about Hellboy. 
I'm making yes. the next one. I'm making it about Conqueror Worm. I don't know if you've if you've read that one. That's the one with Lobster Johnson. Uh, I love Lobster Johnson. Yes, yes. So he that's the one where he first shows up in, and of course he's a pulp hero too. And he and that character in the Hellboy mythos transitions from fighting like street crime to like paranormal crime to fighting you know the Nazis and their mm. all, all their experiments and stuff. And that's sort of like pulp heroes of the time too, or even Superman. You know the heroes there um, transitioning during uh, World War II also. And in World War II, like superhero comics, like blew up. They were huge. And then as soon as World War II ended, they collapsed. And I think it was the major like association of superheroes with World War II that like boosted them. And then once it's done, it's like, well, I guess we're done. You know, people weren't as interested. And it's, it's interesting that Superman himself would would push into that. Yeah, and I think it's. I, I guess the argument could possibly be made depending on like, you know, because like you said, he was fighting organized crime prior to his involvement in like propaganda and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, they saw the mega numbers that Captain America was doing and they probably shifted their focus on that, you know, versus what if they had stayed the course with organized crime dealing with like fighting, I know this is a hot button term nowadays, but fighting for social justice. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. If that would have had the same effect on the comics industry, if they had stayed the course on that rather than become like a propaganda tool. Right. Absolutely. It, it yeah, these little things of, of, you know, small paths that, you know, that could be taken and the way that it shifts industries slowly. And, you know, then this industry pushes that way instead of that way. And you never know what's going to happen, but, um, it's a whole other subject. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> we've got a, we've got a lot to cover here, but I did want to talk about before we move on um, the animation. This was oh, a I know it, it it's a show that used rotoscope animation, and for being originally broadcast in the early 1940s, it holds up incredibly well today. Incredibly well. Yeah, I was I was rewatching some the other day in preparation for this, and just the way that like. The fluidity of the motion of mm -hmm. Superman, his the, there's certain things like you know him in that first episode beating back the uh, the giant laser from yes. a telescope. This looks so great. Or oh, when the the building like co collapses, it like bends over. Mm -hmm. He grabs it and he like bends it back and he's pushing it back and forth. Or like there's one with like the giant all the the like the molten metal like drops on him and he's got like his cape out to yeah he's got the cape and it's so good like it really holds up well because yeah the fluidity um just the quality i mean i look at like dc animated movies now and they've taken such a dip in quality i think they're animating on the fours so if you're not familiar with the term or anyone's listening is not familiar with the term they're animating once every four frames so mm. a new a new image every four frames. So typical animation for television is animating on the twos. Um, it's like it it gives it you know fluidity still while saving money, right? So if there's 28 frames per second and you animate on the twos, you're only having to produce uh, 14 images per second, right? And if you're doing every on the ones, you're replicating actual like real life you know movement, you'd be doing 28. If you're animating on the fours, then you're doing 14, 16, 20. What, 4, 12, 8, 12, 16, 20, uh, 6, you know, 6 uh, images per second. You're saving a lot of money, but you start to look really, like, choppy. 
like some of the stuff with like the killing joke animation, you know, from the other few years ago, just Batman's so like stiff. And if you look at this, you know, it's, so, it, it's, it's decades and decades older. It's more than half a century older. It looks so much better because of the, the quality that was put into it. Yeah, you're, right. you're absolutely right. Like the fluidity, the just almost lifelike movement and I I have to agree, like a lot of the recent DC animated films have looked very stiff, especially when we're talking about like the um, their new 52 animated universe. That was the, really the point where they changed. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they've I think they've had like a couple wins in that area. I thought Death, Death of Superman and the Reign of the Superman films were strong. I haven't seen those. Uh, they put they put out so many. Yeah. It's true. I, I would I would take the time. I would take the time to go back to watch at least Death of Superman because mm-hmm. the way that they kind of blend the original story into like the new 52 continuity mm-hmm. while also um, introducing a bunch of other concepts. Bibbo has a big part mm-hmm. in this in that movie. And I love Bibbo as a, I'm a big fan of Bibbo Bobowski. Yeah, he's great. Probably from the animated series. That's where I started to love him. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and that's again like how I was introduced to that character and I was like, "Oh man, he's got like a little sea shanty pal who runs a bar." Like it's <laughs> it fleshes out Superman's world so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. and it really that's like stuff that I love like um like Gotham Central, for example, like having oh, that yeah. comic to flesh out the rest of mm-hmm. Gotham made Gotham as a whole and the other Batman comics that are connected to it just feel so much more alive. Absolutely. Ah, oh, Gotham Central so good. I'm gonna have to reread that one soon. It is oh, it's amazing. There's a story where Joker has snipers and it's oh heart pounding. Yeah. Really, really yeah. good. Great but stuff. um so moving on, we really didn't see a big budget Superman film until nineteen seventy-eight when the first Superman film hit theaters, uh distributed by Warner Brothers, directed by Richard Donner. This was I would say the first really big budget superhero film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I can't. It, I, yeah, there's nothing else besides this one that's that's nearly as big as this. Yeah. So, in the lead roles, we have Christopher Reeve playing Superman, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, and Marlon Brando as Jor El. What do you think of this cast? Amazing cast. I mean, the nice thing about superheroes, I mean, superhero movies always attract a pretty good cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, this is like stellar for the time. And I know a lot of the like, Christopher Reeve was um, pretty much an unknown before yeah. this. Um, but like, I mean, having Brando, of course, is a huge get. Even if he did read off his lines that were written on the baby's diaper, when it was... <laughs> but he could, but he could do it. You know, he's such a good actor. He could, he could do it. I mean, of course, he does mispronounce Krypton as Krypton. Oh, is- so yes. many times. And uh, but he's he's good. He's so good. And the great cast. Gene Hackman is one of my favorite actors of all time. He's he kills it as Lex. He's a very different Lex, right? He's not really like he's a blend of like the modern businessman Lex and the like the Silver Age like scheming like scientist Lex. You kind of put them together and you put them in a bunch of different wigs and you have this Lex Luthor from Gene Hackman. One important credit that you forgot to to mention, um, 
co-written by Mario Puzo, who yes. wrote The Godfather. Like what? Like what is happening? Like it's always <laughs> it still blows my mind when I hear that. Like really, they got the Godfather guy to write Superman, and he said yeah, and the studio was like, that's the guy, Godfather guy. <laughs> like, I don't understand, but it worked. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting because um, Richard Donner too. He was just he was working on Omen two, like Damien something, like Damien's Reckoning or something like that. When they he was approached for it, and I'm like, what a weird like choice to go from like, oh, you know who we should get to direct Superman, the Omen guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He. Yeah. He went right from Omen to Superman. That's very strange. Donner's got such a a weird career, right? The he Omen, does. Superman, Goonies, yes. all the Lethal Weapon movies, uh, Lady Hawk, the uh, the one with uh, Matthew Broderick as a, a, a knight. Um, I forgot about Lady Hawk. Yeah, and then what else? I'm looking through here. Radio Flyer, Maverick, Conspiracy. He got very he he bought a lot of stock on Gibson, which was <laughs> good for a time, and then when that well dried up, you're kind of like, all right. Okay, Rick, uh, kind of cut, kind of cut the ties there. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, sixteen blocks. Yeah, it's crazy. Is, but um, maybe this is spoiling uh, what we'll talk about. You know, when we're like listing our stuff. But I just have to say that Superman nineteen seventy eight is easily one of the greatest superhero movies of all time. Agreed. Like, top three. Like for nothing, sure. I I don't have a definitive ranking. But like the sentiment, this like the like just not 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 even being sentimental, uh, not having any nostalgia. Top three, and you add in some nostalgia and sentiment. Number one, like that's yeah. kind of how it is. Absolutely, and I think that comes a lot down to uh, sincerity. What we see mm-hmm. a lot nowadays is like, and I mean, especially when they were starting to get hot at like the early two thousands, was like doing superhero films with like this touch of cynicism so Mm -hmm. it was like yeah we got these guys in here but we're not putting them in the costume we're not (laughs) calling them by their code names and it's like the idea that they're like no we're gonna make them fly we're gonna put them in the trunks we're gonna like have lex luthor be freaking ridiculous like all of the it was almost like a perfect storm that really brought like you said like people who wouldn't make sense to put on this, you know, Mario Puzo bringing in to write, you know, Marlon Brando to be Jor-El. Like, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting. I think something that is also super interesting is what you mentioned with um, Christopher Reeve being an unknown, because Mm -hmm. that wasn't initially the choice. Initially, you know, producers and everything wanted a big A-list name. And I actually have the list of names here and I want to run them past you. Okay. I don't, I'm sure I've heard them over the, in the past. Like I don't remember any, mm. I'm just going to throw out Al Pacino because he seems to be floated for every single role <laughs> from like 1975 to 1995. So maybe Pacino's in there for no he, reason. He was approached for Lex Luthor, which I think would have been a really interesting take on him. Like post, um, post Dick Tracy, Al Pacino could be a good Lex Luthor, but th- this is like Godfather Lex Luthor, right? Who's like, yeah. mm, he's kind of a little mousy, he doesn't really talk a lot. But then, like, post Dick, who's like, oh, Superman, I'm gonna get you. Like, <laughs> you know, like, there's uh, something his brain Ooh, broke. Wow. Yeah, his brain broke. And then his, he was like, oh, this. He won. He won the Oscar for Son of a Woman. And he was like, oh, this all the time. And then. <laughs> 
so I'm I'm looking at this list and I've seen like variations of this list like throughout the years, but there were some names on here that I really was surprised by. Okay. So everyone's heard Robert Redford was the initial mm. like first guy they were looking at. Um, if if there was a time machine, Captain America. Robert absolutely. Redford. Yeah. Absolutely. I was so glad to see him in Winter Soldier. Yeah. And then even more so to see him in Endgame. I guess mm-hmm. it's spoilers for Endgame. <laughs> um, but yeah, Robert Redford. Iron Man dies. <laughs> Iron Man dies. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so basically, it looks like the top two choices at the time were Robert Redford and Burt Reynolds. I don't, I, not, not Reynolds. Absolutely <laughs> not Reynolds. You, you don't think the mustache would have worked at the time? It wouldn't have worked at the time. And then they, and to, to shave it Ooh. for the role? I don't know. That... He his power comes from the mustache. <laughs> you know how some people center of gravity is low, like in their hips and below. His center of gravity is in that mustache. <laughs> like you get rid of that, and that guy's flopping all over the place. I just I don't see that at all. I'd I'd much rather go with Redford. So other names that were in negotiations at one point or another were Nick Nolte, John Voight. James Brolin, father of Josh Brolin. Okay. Christopher Walken. All right. James Can. Okay. And Sylvester Stallone. Oh all God. were in negotiations at one point in time. And they initially did cast someone before Christopher Reeve. And I didn't know this. I didn't know I, this. They were, but I was doing the research. And apparently they initially cast Patrick Wayne, the son of John Wayne. But I don't know anything he, about him. I don't either. I've never heard any of his stuff, but I mean, he's the son of John Wayne and it's like, sure. Nepotism. But like, apparently he was cast and then dropped after John Wayne was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Mm. Dropped out Mm. to take care of his dad. And it's so interesting what a different world that could have been because there were two other names that lobbied hard to get at least an audition, but they were ignored. And that's Neil Diamond. Oh my God. (laughs) And Arnold Schwarzenegger. Both of them lobbied hard for the role, but were never given an opportunity to screen test. That's wild. Those are all extremely wild choices. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about Patrick Wayne. Um, It's hard to imagine anyone else because... So, like, you think about, like, the Kurt Swan Superman of the time and the and Christopher Reeve really, really, like, aligns well with the look. He really looks good as Superman, especially this version of Superman. And he worked so well that everyone that's come after has been in his mold to some degree or another, right? Um, it's just there's a Superman look. Right. And when we talk about more, I'm sure there's more casting what-ifs. And all those people, more and more, the Superman look. I'm like, here's the the look. You have to fall into it. And this is like everything. Jimmy Kahn as as Superman would be like, what's happening? Like, yeah. how do you even like cast anyone else to look like that? Like, I love Thief. <laughs> he's great as and the Godfather, but he's not Superman. Uh, Schwarzenegger doesn't work as Superman because he's just. I mean, he's too big, and like his face just isn't Superman. I love Schwarzenegger. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I'm a big. Schwarzenegger fan like Predator is like one of the one of my favorite movies um the Terminator movies of course one and two um uh, Running Man Total Recall like you know all the classics like I really do like him he's very charismatic 
um, for not being a good, like technically a good actor. Mm-hmm. But him, like in the Superman outfit, like roman- romancing Margot Kidder, like it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work <laughs> at all. Oh, well, man. and it's like for me, like certain names, like the name that for some reason t- sticks out to me the most is Sly Stallone. Like mm. it's so interesting because this is I'd, I'd have to check the actual date, but this might be po- like post right Rocky after, right after Rocky. Yeah. And it's like he was on a high after after yeah. Rocky. So like this would have been, I guess, lo- like business wise, logically the next step. Yeah. But like how different would that have been? Like having is like, oh, maybe his voice is just because he's Kryptonian. Like that's the way he talks. Like <laughs> you, he he got injured, you know, in the in, when the rocket crashed. <laughs> um, I mean, I like Stallone also. Rocky mm-hmm. One is is an amazing film, a great movie. He Stallone has some. In, he's so up and down. He's really up mm-hmm. and down. It's like when the there's like the the really the when he puts his heart into something and it's like a personal project like Rocky or First Blood or Rocky Balboa, Creed, he's mm. great. Other times, you know, you get um, Cobra or Judge Dredd or uh, Cliffhanger. And I you're like, yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh, my God, no, Sly, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so strange. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's well, hard to imagine in that, too. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because I guess like physically he would have fit the mold, you know, being yeah. like kind of big and beefy because a big co- point of contention for Reeve was initially producers and Donner were like, he's too skinny. So yeah. like when they ended up casting him, they were like, we're going to put you in a muscle suit. And Reeve was like, no, you're not. And so he <laughs> went on this huge like changed his entire lifestyle his workout regimen so that he could be like big and beefy and like as like sizable as he could and even as that he's not like terribly like shredded or Mm -hmm. huge as superman but he still fills out that kind of profile for sure he looks good in the suit he really does and i mean it's a thin cotton that he's wearing right (laughs) you know hard to hide anything um but he yeah he looks good and i don't know it's a nice look right like i like superman is like you know large he shouldn't be a skinny guy that doesn't really look right for the character i don't know there's no science behind superman really right you know but he should be um large he should be you know tall he should stand out you know among the crowd you know when he's looking like superman um but you know i like that reeve went from thin to to muscular instead of like a huge guy you know massive 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 like arnold would be just, i don't know it would be weird seeing the veins through the 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 costume you know yeah and it's it's so interesting like you bring that up the um his look is so i it's it's one of the most like you can play with it when it comes to like i've seen a lot of different artist renditions like one of my favorites is how tim sale draw draws him mm-hmm. where he's just big and bulky but he's not like ripped or shredded he's just mm-hmm. like oh that guy would have a hard time fitting in a door yeah I, like the way frank quietly drew him yes the th- thick he's thick he um <laughs> i remember writing uh, no I, I did a video on superman for all seasons which is mm-hmm. drawn by tim sale I always remember someone commented saying he looks like a thumb. 
And he does look like a thumb. He does. <laughs> he um, absolutely does. But there, there's a panel in that in that book where, um, where this kid is like something along the lines of nice outfit, and he says, "Thanks, my mom made it for me." And like that's iconic. That's like me. one. Of the, that's one, that's like the last thing he says in the entire book. It's so good. It's amazing. And it's, yeah, and it's a fantastic story. You do a great job on that video, oh, and like. It's so funny, like you bring that up, and I I must have missed that comment because uh, now <laughs> all I could see is like, thanks, my thumb mom made it for me, uh, <laughs> and like, but it's like it's true. Like I like the fact that Reeve wasn't super huge in this, and it made him when in those scenes with Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, who did incredible oh, yeah, in that great. role, it made them balance each other really well physically. Oh yeah, like he he's big and she's smaller and he's muscular and she's thin, but he's not like beyond her, right? Mm-hmm. Like when he's flying with her, she feels safe with him because he's, you know, he's strong, but he's not, but he's like there with her. You know, right. it's, it, like that scene, the, the can you read my mind scene is so interesting because like that's cheese. It is cheese. Yes. But it's so sweet and human and personal. It's great. The whole thing just has such a nice balance. It's it's so, gosh, like, uh, you know, can you watch this movie and not feel like, like the movie is giving you like a hug? It feels like the movie is giving you a hug. And like like Superman, it's saying like things are going to be okay, you know? And it's, it's an interesting three-act structure too, right? Because it's not a classic three-act structure. It's like the Mm-mm. act one, Krypton, right? Act two... Smallville and then Act Three Metropolis, but like Krypton is like twenty minutes and Smallville is like thirty minutes, and then the rest is like, you know, it's another like hour and change. It's it's a strange structure, but it shows you like the progression of Superman's life, you know, in these different settings, and it's it's different for sure, but it really works really well. And Krypton is like really kind of cold. You know, it's a cold setting. It's an impersonal setting. But Brando as Jor-El, like, gives the humanity to it. Um, and then uh, Smallville is, like, this, a really warm setting. But then it's, like, you've got the tragedy of Pa Kent dying. And then Metropolis is big and modern and, like, bustling. And now um, Superman is the one that's bringing the warmth and the humanity there. It's it's interesting that you see it, like, like progress in a way through through the, the the figures the figures in his life and who he becomes it's oh it's so good uh, <laughs> it's great yeah, it's it it really is and like going going back to the um the can you read my mind scene like that's it's so like from the moment that he hops off the uh the little like landing thing onto her balcony mm-hmm. just with this like peter pan like whimsy with his mm-hmm. cape like flowing behind him and to the moment where she's just like do you like pink like it oh, yeah. just <laughs> the innocence and i've like watched some um some interviews with margot kidder where she kind of like describes her thought process of her being so like dismissive of clark but being like a little schoolgirl when it comes to superman and you can absolutely see her mind working that entire time yeah and it's so cool watching that quick um quick question for you have you watched the um the interview that uh christopher reeve did talking about marlon brando i don't think so i don't think i have so 
he did this interview. I think it was um, Letterman, where they were basically just talking about like, you know, it was around the time that the film came out. He's like, you know, were you, you know, how'd you feel about working with Brando? And Reeve was in so many words like, eh. Uh, <laughs> and it was so interesting because he was like basically talking about like how, you know, you know, Marlon Brando's like when he cares and when he really wants to put in, you know, really good work, he can absolutely do it. But he just didn't care. And it seemed to like really bother him. I'm sure. Which I think is great. And he was basically saying like, you know, Brando's supposed to be like this kind of leader for us younger guys. And he really wasn't. And so in essence, you know, Reeve, just like stepping into this role of Superman, he had to step into that role where he was like, OK, I got to like make sure that everybody's you know, together yeah. and going forward. And yeah. just as a young actor, this being like your big debut, I cannot imagine the pressure that you must, you must have been under like being in that situation. I'm sure this is huge. And of course he'd be like, okay, I got to give it everything. This is my shot. This is huge. You know, whether or not he, you know, the idea of Superman was the most important thing, but just the, the pressure of being like in this huge movie in the front and then Brando being like, oh, I'll read the Krypton, read off the diaper or whatever, you know, am I done yet? Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it would, it would throw, it would throw anyone for a loop to see or, you know, and sure, like, he would be the guy, like, Brando, yeah. like, Waterfront, Godfather, like, this is the guy, like, and to see that would be would be wild. Um, yeah, uh, I, I've never seen that, but that'd be interesting. Yeah, it's it's been making the rounds uh, recently on Twitter a okay. bunch, and it's like it's really interesting. But just going back into the film, um, just everything like you were saying, like it's so heartfelt. Like every scene, you can feel the love in it, and mm -hmm. it's like the Daily Planet feels like the Daily Planet, Smallville. Mm -hmm feels like Smallville. The mm -hmm. scene where he initially meets Lois, catching the helicopter, he's like, I've got you. And she's like, yeah. you've got me, but who's got you? And like, the yeah. way her voice cracks. Like, it's so well done. And all of it kind of comes together because of the score by John Williams. Uh, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. iconic. Like, yeah. the Superman theme has <clears throat> been duplicated and replicated all over the place. Because it's so like, dun, 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 and it's like immediately, you know, that's Superman. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, I mean, Williams is great. You know, he does these classic scores. He comes up with so many like indelible themes that it's so interesting because Superman existed for, um, you know, 40 years before this movie came out. And then you can't think of that character without that theme. Right. Mm -hmm. But this character existed for decades. You know, people lived and died in this entire time, you know, knowing Superman without that ever coming out. And then suddenly, you know, here's this character and that's the theme. And Williams has done that for so many things. Right. Like Jaws, Harry Potter, you know, mm -hmm. too. He's got a great score for that. Um, I mean, the score and specifically the Superman theme is so like critical, like in love for the character that that was a big part of the marketing for Superman Returns. Right. It's like, yeah. yes, we are using the theme. And when Man of Steel came out, there was still the question of, will you be using the Superman theme? And I mean, like, it's, that's really weird to think about now, because, like, of mm -hmm. course they're not going to use the Superman theme. Like, it's not the same franchise. It's not, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with it. And, but people were like, this is Superman. This is the <laughs> theme. Like, these two are interlinked forever. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, in 100 years, like, 
like people will still use the Superman theme. That I like the Man of Steel score. I like the Man of Steel theme, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't have that um, inextricable quality with the character. Um, there's so much. It's it's it has this lightness, um, you know, because there's the main the the main thrust of it. Da 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 da, and then. When it gets lower, you know, it lowers the score. No, no, and like it has this more like romance and like whimsy to it too. Yeah. And like, um, you can like play both. You the big like Superman like broad chest like stopping a bullet, saving someone, or like the friendly Superman, you know, saving the cat out of the tree, winking at the kid, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like being like the you know your paragon of hope. It's like all in there. The whole like idea of Superman, all the different access of him is in that. So um, quick aside, and, and I don't want to bring up my videos too much, but I've done so many videos on Superman because oh, like, I'm sure. obsessed with him. Yes. I did a video recently on the Superman Rebirth series. Um, right. You know, Tomasi and Gleason did it. And, you know, I, I, I made the, the video, like I was very emotional when I was writing it because it's an emotional series. Mm-hmm. And then like, emotional when I'm writing and you know, a little emotional when I'm doing the voiceover and I'm not emotional when I'm you know editing the video you know because you're just in the weeds and you know you're kind of like clicking a bunch of buttons and making sure things go and then I ended it with um with the final like monologue of, of Clark and uh you know that's like a big like emotional moment crescendo and like still not emotional you know when I'm making it and then I, I put the theme in and I just like burst into tears, you know, when, when I like finally listened to it, like not like moved by my own writing. Cause I'm using Tomasi's writing for that end and I'm using William's score and you just put the two together and they're like so perfectly melded. And it just made me so emotional. It's like, Oh, this is like everything Superman stands for. And just like, well, it was just like just, just the score and like the meaning of Superman and like Tomasi's writing just like, blew me away just absolutely blew me away yeah it well, was great. and and i will say like that's one of my favorite videos that you've ever done because oh, that you. that run of superman is probably my favorite modern run mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just the love that tomasi and gleason put into that series and it's not a perfect run but like it is so intrinsically just like this film at the core of that character knows what that character is about what makes him tick um and your video like when you hit that last the colors will fly and you hear the dun 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 like that is it hits you right in the gut just because you Mm -hmm. know how good it is that actual i need i've never talked to you about this but i need (laughs) to mention this you pointed out in that video and i have every single single issue of that run i never picked up on the parallels between the next to final scene in that book and the final bit of uh whatever happened Oh yeah, it's like the bedroom. Like yeah. I never picked up on that, and seeing that in the video, I was like, "Wait a second. I had went back in the box, pulled <laughs> out the issue, and it just it blew yeah. my mind. But it's like that kind of love for the character, knowing mm-hmm. what makes that character so strong, and not just like physically strong, but also strong as an ideal. Like the mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. that it stayed around for so long yeah. is really what you were getting to with the score being so iconic 
like yeah. you hear it and it's and to compare it like you said with the um the man of steel soundtrack like i love that theme i love yeah. that man of steel theme but first of first of all and we'll talk about it later like it comes like two thirds of the way into the film, whether where this one is just like right in your face, like this is Superman and it's, um, Emmett, you're absolutely right. Like the whimsy, the, um, almost, I don't, I don't know what I mean by this, but the almost like Disneyland feel (laughs) of the theme, it's just like, Oh my God, like you can like get lost in this. Like this is a whole other world. And the Mm -hmm. theme really does that. It really accomplishes that feeling. Mm-hmm. And people loved this movie so much that immediately Superman 2 was already on the docket. Mm-hmm. It came out in 1980, which was literally two years later. But at the same time, the film was being um, filmed at the same time as the first film. And it got 75% of the film done before they were like, oh, man, we got to finish the first film. Or we're not going to get any of this done. <laughs> And it retains most of the same cast with the exception of the addition of Terrence Stamp as General Zod in the main villain role here. And this was also a big um, controversy with Richard Donner. He mm-hmm. was the initial uh, director who worked on both the first and second film Um Right after the release of the first film, Donner was fired and Richard Lester was brought in to finish up and also do reshoots on the film. And so he was initially credited with the uh, director's role with Superman 2. What do you think of this film? It's a very flawed film with a lot of interesting, like iconic parts, right? Like... Terrence Stamp as General Zod is so good. He just crushes it. And he crushes it. We didn't even talk about it. The little part with him and Ursa and Nan in, in the first one. Oh, you yeah, know, where you're right. Doral is banishing him. And like, you will kneel before me. First I kneel. will find him. Oh, wrong one. Wrong one. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> wrong Zod. Wrong movie. First you and then your heirs. You know, that kind of thing. But basically, we got the, it's the same energy. Although um, Shannon's going like, Shannon's like, he's like, you think you're chewing the scenery stamp? I'm, I'm going to eat this entire place down to the ground. You know? so Michael Shannon energy. There's just no way. It's crazy. Now, um, so you're talking about the tampering behind the scenes, of course. And um, so it's the Salkines were the ones that um, were producing the Superman movies. Mm-hmm. They were the ones that fired Donner. And I still don't understand why they fired Donner. Like, the movie was, Superman was great. The movie did really well. They had shot most of the second one. And then they were like, all right, well, bye. <laughs> like, I don't, and, and bring in Richard Lester. I just I don't understand, like, what was the impetus there? And I'm looking at their stuff. Like, they made, they didn't make a lot after Superman. They didn't make much besides Superman after those movies were coming out. They made Supergirl, which we are never going to talk about because it's terrible. She fights an invisible monster at the end because they didn't have the budget to actually make a monster. It's Oh, I thought it, that's what we were doing the rest of this episode about. <laughs> All I have are Supergirl notes. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, let's go for it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting movie that is held back by a lot of things. Now, I have never seen the Donner cut. Have you seen the Donner cut? I have. Okay, so you can tell me more about it, but 
the the weird balance of the humor that they add in, which is the big part, right? Which is why they brought in uh, Lester to right. to reshoot stuff, and he added a lot of humor. Like the big fight with Zod and all them in Metropolis has all those sight gags of people like, oh, I'm being blown away by the wind and I'm, <laughs> yeah. you know all sort of stuff. And like it's like, what's happening? Like the first Superman wasn't a self serious movie, but it didn't like it didn't undercut everything with a joke. Like the end of of the end of the of the first Superman when Lois dies and you know Superman has that emotional breakdown like it's played like straight. This is just straight. You know we're not undercutting it. it he is emotionally tortured right now and you feel it and then this one is just undercutting so much stuff and like the general like scope of it is good you know bringing in the kryptonians to fight is like a good idea um and there's certain things that you know they're still good but i don't know it's like a really imbalanced movie it just doesn't it's hard to watch it and like feel satisfied i don't know what about you i i agree there's a lot of things that don't necessarily makes sense in the film unless you have the knowledge of like all of the background stuff that was happening behind the scenes yeah yeah and it's like you almost have to you almost have to know what stuff was going wrong to understand okay that's why they did this okay that's why they included this right and like speaking to the the two different versions of the film like there are certain things that are very different like the way that Lois finds out Clark is Superman mm-hmm. in the, you know, the theatrical release versus the Donner cut are two very different scenes. Okay. In, the, in the theatrical cut, you know, he does this weird like trip and fall and his hand goes into the fire and it's oh, like, oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, your hand's not hot. And he's like, no, don't look at it. And he's, and then he just like hits like a chair. Like he's frustrated. Like he, <laughs> like it happened by accident. And then in the in the Donner cut, it's a very different scene because it's like they go to Niagara Falls just like they do in the original film. Right. I, I don't want to say the original film, the theatrical film. Um, and like Lois has already has this suspicion and she's like been on Clark about it. And so she's like, OK, fine. And she pulls out a pistol from her <laughs> purse and she goes to shoot herself and and immediately Clark is on that, you know, covering up the barrel when she fires, finds out there are nothing but blanks in the pistol. And she's like, gotcha. And for me, there's such agency in Lois in that reveal mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's like, OK, she's she's one of the greatest female comic book characters created. Mm-hmm. And she like she is a badass who like goes after everything. And like, of course, if she even got the inkling, she would test every single hypothesis until she was absolutely proven wrong about this. And right. it, again, like feeds into her character um, the way that Superman gets his powers back as well. Like there's you talked about the Salkinds and they they are so intrinsically tied into the Superman franchise and it's it, it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. But like <laughs> they had this huge like falling out with uh Marlon Brando who sued them after the release of the first <laughs> film because he didn't get his cut of the uh box office proceeds mm. which it's it's always like you get different accounts of whether that was in his contract or whether it was like a handshake agreement, but like they were having this whole like feud. So they cut him out of the theatrical release entirely and had 
you know, Superman's mom be the new hologram in the Fortress of Solitude. Oh, right. Where yeah. in the Donner Cut, it's still Marlon Brando's Jor-El. And it's like, it, there's so many, like, nonsensical and arbitrary changes that really don't, I think, don't improve the film. Like, the way that they yeah. get around... I can't even... The, the way that they get around, like, oh, you know, they... Clark lost his powers. Him and Lois slept together. Now she doesn't want to know that he's Superman. So he, in the theatrical cut, gives her a kiss with some some new power. Yeah, the memory erasing kiss. Right, yeah. and that's and that's not in the Donner cut. And it's so interesting to me that they reshot that because what they do instead is they hearken back to the first film where he goes and he flies around the earth three days yeah so that it basically wipes out the entire movie from happening <laughs> and he's able to stop zod from breaking out of the phantom zone he's able to round up luthor put him back in prison and he's able to stop um lois from finding out and i mean in a way it's the same thing as being like and it was all a dream but at the same time it's like i don't know i i don't know which ending i think is better between like the it was all a dream versus the amnesia kiss right i now i believe that um you know, they were making the two, as we said, um, together kind of. And that originally uh, the first Superman movie wasn't supposed to end with him going around the world. It would be a little bit different. And then the second one would have him go around the world. And so when they were like, oh, well, we have to wrap up this first movie. You know, I know we're working on the second. Let's do this. They took that original idea, moved it to the first one. And, of course, mm -hmm. it works well there. But, like, having them, having both movies end with a traveling around the world, you know, and, and reversing time is like, I mean, how many times can you do that? Like once max, that's even, even then that's a little bit of a, of a weak point, you know, yeah. like of, of him doing that at the end, but it works in the context of that movie. You do it more than once and you're really like, well, why doesn't he just like do it all the time for every single thing? It's so easy. He just does it all the time. Okay, let's do it. Um, yeah. It's an interesting movie. With those like iconic bits, there's iconic bits, right? Absolutely, Neil before Zod. Neil before Zod, iconic. Uh, Superman getting his powers back and throwing that guy across the counter. <laughs> yeah. The um the giant cellophane S shield that he throws, <laughs> casually murdering the Kryptonians. Uh, yeah, no end. one talks about that. Like, yeah. you know, Man of Steel was up in arms like, oh, man, he killed Zod. <laughs> you know, why can't it be like Christopher Reeve? And it's like, wait a second. Did you watch Superman 2? <laughs> he definitely killed all three of them. They are they've been turned into 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 pizza at the bottom of the Fortress of Solace. <laughs> like they are gone. They are done. Well, and it's interesting to me, too, because re-watching it i was struck by maybe it's just because i've watched them you know closer together than i ever have before when it comes to time there are a lot of weird like coincidences and similarities between this and spider-man 2 it uh, seems yeah. really weird but it's like you know giving up his powers you know this threat coming that's basically he helped cause like all of this stuff that i was really like weirded out by and, <laughs> and i was like wait this is odd like spider-man 2 obviously did it way better but in that same 
in that same vein, like there are certain things about this film, like the cell, the ridiculousness of the cellophane S mm-hmm. the fact that he like chucks that he has that whole weird interaction with the guy in the bar when he doesn't mm-hmm. have any powers yeah. and the guy's just like beating up on him. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what am I watching? <laughs> is it, is this the one where he has the ability to put bricks back in place with his eyes? I think it's that? the third. I think that's three. Okay, that's three. Because the the weird powers continue. <laughs> yeah, They're like, yeah. he's Superman. He can do anything he wants. Yeah, the whole like, you know, like. So do you have like telekinesis? But this is with your eyes. But does it only work on bricks? Like, I don't know. Yeah, this is know. definitely Golden Age Superman, where they were basically just giving him a new power every single week, making yeah. him like. Just the ridiculous amount of powers that he had in the Golden Age was amazing. Shape-changing, like, they way overpowered him. And this film, like, is definitely a product probably more of the Silver Age with just the sensibilities, it being, like, quote-unquote all ages. But Mm -hmm. um, apparently, regardless of the troubled production, it made enough money to warrant a third movie so we now move on to Superman 3, released in 1983, um, still by Warner Brothers. This one completely 100% helmed by Richard Lester. They brought back Christopher Reeve the Superman, but that's pretty much, for the most part, it from the original like big heavy hitter cast. Um, Saul Kinds were still having their feud with uh, Marlon Brando after the firing of Richard Donner. Uh, both Margot Kidder and Gene Hackman were very public in their criticisms of the Salkinds for this. And so it's like different accounts have said that basically in retaliation, they didn't want to work with Gene Hackman anymore. And they greatly reduced Margot Kidder's role as Lois Lane in this film. She pretty much only pops up like at the end. And instead right. they, they have not just a new love interest for him in the role of Lana Lang played by Annette O'Toole, but also the complete just bargain bin great value brand Lex Luthor. That is Ross Webster played by Robert Vaughn. And so they were, yeah. And they were basically just like, well, we don't like these actors anymore, but they've already been, you know, cast as these roles. So we're just going to put in two proxies for them now. And these are going to be the people we focus on in this film. And the big role that came in for this was Richard Pryor as Gus Gorman. And the the way that they ended up casting him for this, I think, is hilarious. Because the Salkinds were basically just watching him on an episode of Jay Leno. And he mentioned, just offhand, he was like, yeah, I watched Superman 2 and I really like Superman 2. And they're like, oh, we got to cast him. (laughs) Like, that's how they decided. They were like, we're going to make a character for him. We're going to put him in this. And, like, it's so interesting watching kind of the steady degradation of this film series. Yeah. <laughs> as the Salkinds kind of got more and more control over it. And alienated more and more people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is this is the big evil Superman film. Like, besides the fact that he had, you know, brick beam powers, he also gets split in two at one point in the film because he is um i believe comes in contact with red kryptonite and, no it was a um is it, it even a, kryptonite it's like a fake kryptonite that okay. that uh richard Pryor's character makes and he substitutes 
like I think like cigarette tar instead of some whatever when he's synthesized. It's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. yeah and it's real dumb. Yeah. And it shows him <laughs> starting to be just like Dick Superman. And anytime, like, even if you've never seen the film, you have seen the gif of Superman sitting in a bar, just dr- pouring his beer, like, <laughs> like flicking peanuts into people. Like it's uh, what ridiculous. a mood. What a mood. <laughs> Especially now. <laughs> right. It's just like, Every day I wake up and I'm like, ah, man, I'm act two Superman (laughs) and three today. And it's just ridiculous. And they obviously they they utilize Richard Pryor as much as they could. They made him comedic. They gave him all of the, you know, home run lines that fall completely flat. Mm. And it's just it involves Superman going back to um, going back to Smallville after he wiped uh, Lois Lane's memory of them being together, going back to attend his high school reunion. He meets Lana Lang. She's got a son and this abusive stalker ex-boyfriend <laughs> who Clark has to deal with. Um, it's really weird. And you can tell like the budget was just not there because all of the st- all of the Smallville stuff wasn't, you know, half of it was shot on location, but half mm. of it was soundstage. The... It, it's basically for all intents and purposes, a rehash of the first film where he is going up against a, you know, maniacal billionaire who is driven to go after Superman because Superman stopped him from owning shares of all coffee in the world. You know, I'd be mad at Superman too. This is the eighties. <laughs> like not we're pre coffee boom still like, imagine if you had shares of all coffee in the world, <laughs> Before the advent of Starbucks, you'd be, oh, I mean, I don't know how you'd, you'd own the world. Um, <laughs> it's also famous for having, this is the one with the scheme to, to, to round off the, the percentages of the pennies. <laughs> yes. Which is yes. later used as the scheme in office space. Oh, yeah. Mike judges office space, which in the movie, they get it from Superman three. That's how they came up with the scheme. They're like, I've learned it in Superman three. And they're making like, too much money. And they're like, oh, no, this is a serious issue. We're making too much money. Um, that's it. Yeah, it's so like it's the it's the knockoff uh, Bobo Lex Luthor, who's your villain in Pryor. Yeah. I mean, Pryor was so hot at this time, right? Yeah. Like he he had so many big comedy uh, specials that were shown in theaters. Um, he was in Silver Streak with um, it, it's it's with Gene Wilder and, and he was huge. He was like really huge. So of course they're like, well, get the get the guy, you know, that's yeah. such a weird story that he just mentions Superman too offhand and like get him. That's so weird. What? Yeah. What a weird, weird, weird producers. Um, but but it, it fits right in with the Saul Kinds like oh, yeah. M.O. Yeah. But it's so like and it's so weird, like. You're absolutely right. Bringing in Richard Pryor was I I mean, the only thing that I can really equate it to it offhand is like when they were like, you know what? We're going to bring in that real hot young actor, Jim Carrey, to be the Riddler. Uh (laughs) Like that's and they both had pretty much the same effect. And it's like it's really interesting how essentially this movie was almost made out of a vendetta against all of the like the Donner loyalists. (laughs) Mm hmm. That's, you know, that's really interesting when you put it that way. I had not thought of it that way because I've just thought of it being like not a good movie, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> like, 
I they the the people that had had the um, skill and quality left uh, besides you know Reeve, and he can only you know act with the script that's given to him and the director that's directing him. Yeah. And so you get this movie. Now, the the two things of this movie that stand out to me. I saw this movie at a young age. One is Superman fixing the Leaning Tower of Pisa um, yes. when he's doing his super dickery, you know. Yes. Um, and yeah, he's like doing all that stuff. And it's just like, it's wild. Okay, three things, three things. The pizza, the pizza. Uh, the second one is is normal Clark fighting super, uh, super dick Superman in the yeah. junkyard. And as a kid thinking, is this really happening? Or is this like in his mind? <laughs> Like, I was at a young enough age where I was like, I was confused. And I'm sure if I watched it right now, I'd still be confused. Because it's like, is this a mental battle? Is this a real battle? Doesn't he get, like, crushed? Mm-hmm. He gets crushed. And he's fine. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't know what's happening. Like, this is, like, so confusing. And then the third thing is near the climax of the, of the film, the, um, the female assistant to mm-hmm. fake Lex Luthor gets turned into a robot. <laughs> yes she gets pulled into this machine it's it's fake um it's fake brainiac basically right yes and she gets pulled into this machine and it covers her with wires and all this stuff and it's like covering her and as a kid it freaked me the hell out i was so <laughs> freaked out by this thing like what is happening with this woman it's just like something about her this unwilling participant like being physically you know manipulated and turned into this thing like with wires and stuff it's like a slightly more family-friendly version of the scene in Evil Dead when the tree attacks the woman, you know, yeah. and covers vines and all that. And you're like, I don't want any of this right now. <laughs> it was not okay in Evil Dead, and it's not okay in Superman 3. <laughs> like, no thank you. Yeah, and the film overall, it just, it's so choppy. Nothing really fits well together. Christopher Reeve acts his butt off, but like you said, there's only so much he can do um, it's fun seeing him be super dick, like flying around. Like, I think one of my favorite little callbacks to that, there was, um, did you ever watch the cartoon uh, Batman Brave and the Bold? Yeah, I love it. The love episode it. where Superman gets into contact with Red Kryptonite, he does like fix the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's and he right. goes around and he like cheats on Lois, like <laughs> calling back to like a Silver Age comic cover where he was like went to the beach with Lana and it's like it's absolutely the only like lasting thing that came out of this film this is is the one where this is the one where Batman puts on the Dark Knight armor right to fight Superman to wait until the kryptonite wears off after 24 hours that's a good one season three that's season three season three of Brave and the Bold is very strange (laughs) oh Um, yeah they really push into the weird esoteric stuff they're like let's go for everything I'm a well, huge was, fan of that show. It's such a good show. It's incredible. And that was the season where they were like, okay, you guys have been pretty good for the first two seasons, so we can start giving you, like, bigger characters. Because, like, one of the great things about the first two seasons was it was, like, n- DC and Warner Bros. did not have faith in this cartoon. So they were yeah. like, you're only getting, like, C-tier characters. You don't get to play with Batman. You don't get to play... Or you don't get to play with Superman. You don't get to play with Wonder Woman. You don't even get to play with Hal Jordan. You have to have Guy Gardner. That's the only <laughs> Green Lantern we're giving to you. I know. He did, like... He was with, like, the JLI. Yeah. Just the international with... Yeah, with Guy Gardner and Blue Beetle and... Um, 
uh, Martian Manhunter and all that. Like it's Red like, Tornado, yeah. Red Tornado. All, all of these characters that like Shazam, <clears throat> like Captain Marvel, was was in there too, and it's it's and, such a good show. It's such a and and the greatest version of Aquaman ever made. Oh yes, hands down, no question, yes. no question. That's the best Aquaman. Like, I wish that Aquaman was carried over into other media because he's so mm-hmm. like, aha! Yeah. And it, like, oh, it's it's fantastic. And there's a there's an incredible Music Meister episode in that show. Music Meister. There's great. I love the Birds of Prey episode. I rewatched that when I was doing yeah. the Birds of Prey episode for this right. podcast. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> that's great. Like the um, the chill of the night episode. One of my favorites. It's so good. Brings back both Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill to play the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre. And it's like, it's one of the darkest, if not the darkest episodes in the entire show. The, yeah, the cut, the the beginning when they show his origin finally. And the cut, they go down the alley. You see the guy come out. You don't see this. You just see his face. He transitions to being the funeral, to being at home. He makes the vow. And then you see him grow up and he put these lifting the weight and he's doing the chemicals. And he puts on the, the, the OG, you know, purple glove Batman mm-hmm. suit. And you're like, boom, boom, boom. You're like, oh, it's an, it's amazing. And it does take the, the normally very lighthearted show and gives you that, that dark twist on it. And that, that's not the only way to like make a show good about Batman or anything, but it is a, a nice change of pace for the show. It's amazing. Um, the final episode um, when basically they get canceled yeah um, and um why, they, why they actually get to end they actually get to end it and they were yeah. like batman like diedrich bader is just such a good batman and the he hammers like, of ad- justice yes the hammers of justice and he like <laughs> looks straight at the screen and he addresses you basically saying like hey you know what we had a good run we're always going to be around like what yeah. we have is like you know it's it's just a fantastic oh, show. I'm gonna re I'm gonna rewatch all of Brave and the Bold now. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's so it's good. It's so good. Now to to talk about something not as good. Superman four. <laughs> Quest for Peace. My very first Superman film. The film that shaped your your perception of Superman. <laughs> My entire perception of comic books is grounded in <laughs> Superman four, the Quest for Peace. Released in uh, 1987, directed by Sidney J. Furl. I've never sure. heard of this director, but apparently, and I thought this is wild, the initial person they had in the director's chair, Wes Craven. Huh. You know, Wes always did want to get away from horror movies. Yeah, um, and he was going to be the director for this film, but he didn't get along with Reeve. And huh. Christopher Reeve basically told told the studio like you need to get someone else and so they got sydney j fury i read that incorrectly sorry it's it's fury i i've never heard of this person before or since i'm looking at his filmography he's made a lot of movies and i've never heard of any of them (laughs) oh good so this was really the height for him this was his peak this was his peak this is the movie that still gets talked about Yep, this is the one. This is this is the one that everyone remembers. <laughs> but this is also this is the one and only film in the original Superman series that has no Saul kind involvement whatsoever. After 
after Superman three didn't make nearly as much money as Superman two, the Saul guys were basically like, okay, well we can't make money with this anymore. Oh so we're gone. God. And it's so made by left. Golan and Globus. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I forgot <laughs> about that. And so, uh, Christopher Reeve had a lot of, um, creative control over this film, which is unfortunate because he had to work with what they were willing to give him. Um, this, cited the return of Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, but also brought on his nephew Lenny Luthor, played by John Cryer, who would later go on to play Lex Luthor in the Supergirl show. And Ducky, don't forget about Ducky. For and Ducky, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's just as important as Lex Luthor in the world of 16 Candles? Pretty in pink. Pretty pink shit. You're right. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, I always get those two mixed up. Uh, that's close enough. Um, and then we also have, this is the one and only film appearance of Mark Pillow as Nuclear Man. Mm. This film is so dependent on its huge budget cuts. Like, you can immediately tell this feels like a fan film in the way <laughs> that how cheap it is. Yes. And... We've like talked about during the making of this film, there's this scene where he's walking down the um, walking down the road towards the U.N. in his right before he makes that speech at the U.N. And it's like all in a soundstage. There's no extras. It's just like people live here. Right. And he's <laughs> and we was doing this interview where he was like, if Donner did this, there would be people on the streets there would be a crowd behind him walking Rocky style. There would be people peering out the window. It would be shot on location. And you can tell that like once Donner left, Reeve was really struggling to keep the same passion that he had for those first two films. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, his passion for this film, right, is the whole nuclear disarmament. Like that's what he wanted this movie to be about, right? And that's a big part of it, going around, getting all the nukes. Like, talking about height of the Cold War here when it was being developed, like, it makes sense that this was, like, a big thing for him and Superman being the icon of, like, peace, you know, around the world. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Um, but everything else is just such, such absolute crap. I, so this was produced by Menahem Golan and Yoram Globus. Golan and Globus of Canon Pictures. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, some people know Canon, Canon Films or not. Um, Canon were like sh the Schlockmeisters of the <laughs> 80s. You know, like there is an incredible documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it called Electric Boogaloo. I have. It's You got to watch it. It's about Canon. It's about all the, the, the rise and fall of, of Canon Films and everything that happened with them. And their, their rise from making, you know, just smut. Uh, in the 70s and these two guys you know come to america um they were israeli cousins came to america and to start making movies now here's some movies they've made uh delta force mm -hmm. with chuck norris invasion usa with chuck norris all of the death wish sequels okay oh. two three four crackdown all the like all the wild like if you do you if do you ever watch red letter media yes on youtube you know, they do the Death Wish movies. Yeah. You know, all that. Um, it's all canon. There's a lot of canon. They always get excited when they do Best of the Worst and there is a canon <laughs> movie because it's going to be absolute crazy schlock. Um, 
Revenge of the Ninja, Enter the Ninja, Ninja Three: The Domination. That's about a oh the best one. Um, that's the one with the the woman that is a like a workout instructor and she gets possessed by a ninja. Um, Breaking Breaking Two: Electric Boogaloo, uh, a, a Hercules movie, um, Missing in Action Two. The, all this like oh uh, the He Man uh, Masters of the Universe movie was them mm-hmm. too. And so that was right around the time that they made this also. Finally, like okay, it, so the way that they worked was they were always making and burning cash just as equally fast. They always yeah. had to keep making movies to keep making m- money so they could keep burning cash. And at the end of the 80s, they acquired Masters of the Universe and Superman, and those were supposed to be their big hits. Finally put them in money, and Canon's going to be the you know, the preeminent studio. Um, they always had delusions of, of being massive. They, they, I think it was Death Wish 3. The um, premiere party was held in a, uh, a, par- uh, a parking structure. Um, I believe um, Jesus. Um, it was and so like yeah they get Superman 4 they're not going to spend a lot of money on it but they're trying to make a lot of money on it and you get Superman 4 and you get Nuclear Man with his super long electric fingernails oh my god his fingernails that if they scratch you you get radiation poisoning right <laughs> right and it's like it and one thing that never ceases to amaze me is that they didn't like Mark Pillow's performance as Nuclear Man, so they had Gene Hackman dub over all of his lines. Oh, I didn't know that. And so Gene Hackman also plays Nuclear Man. At least Gene left that off of his resume. (laughs) (laughs) That was the crown jewel on his IMDb. It's Royal Tenenbaums, French Connection, and specifically Nuclear Man and Superman for the Quest for Peace. <laughs> but it's so it's so interesting because you're right. Like this, and I like just looking at the notes now. Like this was nine years after the initial Superman film, and kind of like thinking about that, like Christopher Reeve was Superman for essentially a decade. And it started off so strong and the way that it ends is so awful. Like they, they repeat shots. Like the fight on the moon is the most ridiculous. Like you Um, can literally tell the fight on the moon is on a soundstage because you see the curtains behind them. It's so bad. It's so every time, every time he flies, it's the same shot. Mm -hmm. It's the same Reeve fists out toward camera. Boom. And they just use it once and they put in different backgrounds in the green screen. But it's noticeable, like Superman flying just straight ahead, same expression, same posture. They did like one take and they're like, done, that's it. We can't afford it anymore. Keep going. Oh. Yeah. And like this, this film also like did no favors for like Margot Kidder's Lois Lane, who got the exact same amount of um, screen time she did as she did in Superman 3. And within that short amount of time, all of a sudden, oh, she's in love with Superman again. But wait, <laughs> there's now someone who has bought the Daily Planet and his niece is in love with Clark Kent. And like, it's this weird, like, right. they they don't know what they want to do with like, like the love interests, with the villain. Um, it's It makes no sense and it really is an awful film. <laughs> and... Uh. And that film really was kind of the the last stamp on Superman in film for a while, for a long while. Um, during this time, I'm gonna move my list down because I'm I'm trying to go chronologically. Um, following uh, Superman's Superman 4's just 
complete box office bomb. Um, there were still there were still plans to do a Superman five. Right. And in Superman five, the plan was that somehow Superman would die and he would be revived in the bottle city of Kandor. And what I think is so interesting about this is this, you know, this story pitch, this would have come out predates the original death of Superman comic. Right. And so if this had happened, they would have beat the comics out by a good five years at least. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. I, Candor, I mean, they never, they've never explored it in a movie because it just, it's just a whole, like, it's, I don't know. There's just all, it's a whole. It's thing. hard to translate. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to put that in um, a Superman movie and really not let it break like the universe of the movie. You're like, so this, so we'll have, so Brainiac existed, and then we got to introduce Brainiac, and he's shrunk this piece of Krypton, and so there's all these Kry- Kryptonians in there, but they just sit and. Superman's Fortress of Solitude, but they're okay, but they're empowered, and they're here, so why doesn't he do anything, but he can't do anything? It's just, like, it's so much yeah. to, like, put in there. Um, like, they're always, like, either, like, we have to do something with Kandor, and this, or we're just going to forget about it completely. Right. I think they recently destroyed it or something. Uh, I yeah, don't know. They, they, uh, yeah, don't the you- comics... I don't want to talk about Rogel Czar. I don't want to talk about Rogel Czar. There's one you don't want to talk about for this podcast. You don't want to talk, I don't about, want to talk the about the new character in the <laughs> Superman mythos introduced in the last 35 years. What if Doomsday and Lobo had a baby? It's so bad. Rogel Czar. I I have to resist the urge to turn this entire episode into just ranting about Bendis's Superman run. Um so we're going to move on to the next canceled Superman project, which was Superman Reborn. Now, this was a film in the mid 90s that would that was originally a product of two different scripts, and they both dealt with the death and return of Superman. So this was post death and return of Superman, in the comics. The first script is bonkers, like the first <laughs> script dealt with Doomsday, dealt with the whole death of Superman. But as doomsday is killing superman superman's essence jumps from him his body into lois and turns into a virgin mary situation where lois becomes immediately Uh, pregnant and uh, she gives birth to this child who within three weeks grows up into the new superman and he fights and kills doomsday that's so bad that's terrible so it's they, like uh, it's Starman meets Species Two, yeah, <laughs> and and none of the good parts of either of those films, which are awful, like which are awful concepts. Like Species is terrible. I for the longest time when I was a kid, I thought Species and Alien were the same thing. Just when <laughs> I was small, because I I vaguely remember watching like Aliens, not Alien, Aliens, and then somehow happening upon species and just being like oh yeah so they went back to earth after this and then this happened and just it's bad anyway so (laughs) the second script for this involved bringing in brainiac who created doomsday doomsday fights um and kills superman but superman's body is swept up and brought to the fortress of solitude to be a little bit closer to the comics but superman shows up again you know, having been revived with a black mech suit akin to the Dark Knight Returns and mm. fights 
a doomsday who has been cybernetically repaired by Brainiac. So it's Cyborg Doomsday versus Mech Suit Superman. Oh, a toy maker's dream. Oh, a toy maker's dream. Absolutely. And this was, you know, this was around that same time as like Batman and Robin, Batman Forever, those films. So it makes all the sense in the world. But the big, the big canceled project that everyone talks about is Superman Lives. Yes. Superman Lives was the attempt by the Salkinds to get back into the Superman game. And... It was just, it was a nightmare. I would, (laughs) you have never, you've obviously seen Death or Return or Death or Return of Superman, what happened, or Superman Lives, what happened. I've seen pieces. I've never seen the entire thing. I've seen a lot of it, though. It's a wonderful documentary. Mm -hmm. And um, the film, just watching it, you get this sense that it was just throwing everything against the wall and just seeing what stuck. They had Tim Burton directing who had come off of uh, directing Batman and he was done with Batman and they were like, okay, so we want you to do Superman now. And so they got Kevin Smith to write the initial script. Yes. And they cast Nicolas Cage as Superman. How do you feel about Nick Cage as Superman? Bad fit. Real bad shit. And I've seen the uh, images of him, and he's got the weird, like, really, like, shiny, rubbery armor. I've seen the one of him in the normal Superman suit, and then that weird, like, um, electric Kool-Aid, like... Um, yes. Sorry, I think my... Did you hear my dog sneeze? Did you just hear him? I heard a sneeze. This is that... <laughs> I, got, I, got, I recently... Uh, we recently fo- uh, fostered a dog... Oh, nice. Cute little terrier guy. His name is Crypto. Yes. And he came with that name. That's amazing. Crypto with a C. But if we officially adopt him, I'm changing it to Crypto with a K. That's fantastic. (laughs) I have to tell you, we we adopted a cat last year. Orange tabby cat. Mm -hmm. And I had a probably a two to three hour long fight with my partner because I wanted to name this cat streaky. And Uh, she's like, we are not naming our cat streaky. And we just had an argument. It was one of the biggest arguments we've had in our entire relationship. And, um, eventually we settled on naming her Babs, which I, I think worked out fine because anytime (laughs) she gets in trouble, we yell Barbara at her. And, (laughs) So it, <laughs> it it worked out. It worked out. And she's a huge uh, Batgirl fan. So nice. it all all blends together. But <laughs> I am absolutely for adopting animals and yeah. giving them comic book names. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, best of both worlds, you know, save an animal, get an animal, have have the comic book character in your life. Uh, but back to Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that I've seen him in the suit. It just doesn't look good. He's got the weird long hair. Mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage shouldn't have long hair. Um, unless it's con air um yeah. yes and like it's so strange and yeah the whole i've seen all those kevin smith talking about superman mm-hmm. you know lives it's so interesting john peters yeah john <laughs> peters being involved is the big another big part right john peters mm-hmm. producer comes on board and has all those strange demands and he's like a major force in like all these failed superman reboots of the 90s and want oh down crypto down <laughs> <laughs> um 
uh, of trying to get like um, the giant spider, the flamboyant like sidekick to um, Brainiac, yep. polar bears have to be in there, all that sort of stuff is very strange. Yeah, and like among that, he also had like, I don't want to see him fly. I don't yeah. want to see him in the normal Superman suit. There is there is footage in the um, in the documentary of Nicolas Cage's Clark Kent test fitting. And they that. they have him in the most ridiculous looking clothes. Mm-hmm. And like you could tell like Nicolas Cage, his he's a huge Superman fan. Right. And his right. gears are spinning. He named his child Kal-El. Yes. And like he's he's going with this like, well, you know, if he's an alien, he's not going to know exactly what the fashion is. So he's going to dress like this. And like it's so ass backwards the way that they approached it um the whole giant spider thing the polar bears brainiac has to fight and kill a polar bears because polar bears are the deadliest animals in the animal <laughs> kingdom and spiders are the deadliest killers in the insect kingdom and just like if if you have never if you've never watched kevin smith's whole thing he does a whole stand-up basically talking about his his odyssey with john peters when he's a meet when he comes to give him the script john peters is sitting in a chair and he puts his hands up to like frame a movie screen and he's like (laughs) go and kevin smith has to read him his script it's so wild just thinking about all the bad like decisions like he wanted to put him instead of him having the red trunks he wanted him to have like basketball shorts oh my gosh like Why? it's because he's he's like well it's it's modern it, and you know you see basketball players wearing them all the time and it's like you have no idea what's going on with superman no. Though my favorite part of that Kevin Smith talk is when at the end he wraps it all up when he's like Two years later, I'm going to see a movie called Wild Wild Ones. (laughs) And I see that it's produced by John Peters. And at the end, they fight a giant fucking spider. And I just, I remember watching that for the first time. I literally fell out of the chair. (laughs) Because it's so perfect. John Peters is just something else. Following uh, Superman Lives, there were two other projects that were in development but shelved first one was batman versus superman it was pegged it was pegged to come out around like 2002 2003 um the plot is very oddly similar to batman v superman in that you know it's an older batman who you know alfred nightwing and batgirl are all dead um he's kind of down on his luck superman is now divorced from lois lane and he's like fallen on hard times he's the best man at bruce's wedding to this no-name character who is killed by the joker on their honeymoon and he's decides i have to kill the joker and the joker you know links up with lex luthor and it ends up with a big old fight between batman and superman um it makes no sense. It's weird. <laughs> um, the only real like the only real um, evidence that this film was ever a thing is from the film I Am Legend. Yes. Where the producer snuck in an Easter egg where you see what the logo would have been if that film came out. 
And the actors they were looking at, remember, this is prior to the Nolan films, anything like that, mm-hmm. was Christian Bale as Batman and Josh Hartnett as Superman. Josh Hartnett as Superman. Wasn't the Hartnett also floated for Batman for yes. for Batman Begins also? It's so weird. Yeah. Like the, the, he was like everywhere for a few years, like all these potential things with him. Yeah. I can't see him for Superman. It's weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's not just doesn't quite make sense. Right. Yeah. And it's also, also kind of yeah. weird thinking about like Bale being in a much more comic booky Batman yeah. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that they're both supposed to be older while they're both both those actors are fairly young still. Yeah, at that um, point they were late twenties. Yeah. Huh. I don't well, we'll talk about it in a second, but like but they they these actors need to look a little bit older, you know. I would, I think Superman and Batman are both like perpetually like thirty-four, you know. Absolutely agree. Like my my preferred Batman Superman is like between thirty-five to forty. They are yeah. like prime of their careers. Um, yeah, it makes to me it makes all the sense of the world because then you can tell stories. You can build out the world. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It so, would have been a strain. That would have also like changed everything too if that had happened. Absolutely, like, so many other projects wouldn't have gone forward, and you get this this thing, and yeah, that was like floated for so long. It was like Batman vs Superman, Batman v. or Batman versus Superman, you know, all that, and um, yeah, and eventually it happens, and it doesn't. It, I mean, it takes a very different shape when it finally does. Absolutely, and then there was one more canceled project, um, and that is Superman Flyby. This was a uh, this was penned by J.J. Abrams with both at separate points Brett Ratner and Mick G in the director's chair. Literally the same person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. and then I believe Mick G dropped out because he didn't want to fly. He's afraid of flying, and they had to shoot in Australia. And he's like, nope. Not and he. And he left that to do uh, Charlie's Angels full throttle instead. Great. Good for you, McGee. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> but like this film was supposed to be a reboot, obviously. And it was going to be very light. There's a lot of like heavy Krypton involvement in, yes. in the story. And Christopher Reeve was actually brought on as a consultant for the film. And... Knowing that almost makes it make less sense to me because the the film is bonkers. Yeah, I, I've I've seen this. I've got the description here. So, Krypton hasn't been destroyed, but mm-hmm. the Superman was sent to Earth to just protect him, right? Yeah, yeah, because Jor El was being imprisoned. And then Superman fights these other Kryptonians on Earth. Who you know they're a bunch of no names. They're not based on anyone, and <laughs> die and dies, and then Jor-el commits suicide on Krypton. You love that's what you love to see in a Superman movie. You love to see it is su- <laughs> is prison suicide um, <laughs> to meet to meet Clark in the afterlife and convince him to go back again. Yeah. And I don't know, and 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 so you've got this whole like Krypton exists and set set up for the sequel. Um, yeah, there's so many different people floated for this one too. Yeah, Tom I've, I've got a list. Yeah, let's see, let's hear all the potentials. So I'm going to start from Lex Luthor because I think this is one of the most interesting fields. So initially, they wanted to bring in uh, 
Ralph Fiennes for this. Rafe, Rafe. Rafe, Rafe Fiennes. Thank you. Rafe Don't want to get yelled at by the Fiennes heads. <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> you're so right. Um, which I think would have been a really interesting choice. But they also had in mind Johnny Depp at one point. No. no as no. well as Robert Downey Jr. As Superman? No, as Lex Luthor. Oh, as Lex Luthor. Um, interesting. I mean, Lex is just a couple steps removed from Tony. So. It's true. And it's, especially if you take into account like a Gene Hackman style, like Robert Downey Jr. could have played an excellent modern Gene Hackman Lex Luthor. I could see that. I could see in that. In another universe. Yeah. And then for Lois Lane, they had three different actors kind of in the main uh, mix. Carrie Russell. Okay. Okay. Scarlett Johansson. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, the person who was penned to be, who actually made it and was in the screen test process, Amy Adams, who oh, later oh, went on to play Lois Lane in the uh, Man of Steel films. But for Superman, they had once again our boy Josh Hartnett. Sure, keep him in there. Just, just in. make him go through all the rounds of canceled projects. Yeah, maybe you'll be <laughs> Superman. Mm. Again, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, they also had Jude Law. That's a terrible choice. Paul Walker. No, I'm sorry, Paul. Rest in peace, but no. Paul Walker actually turned it down, which is huh. interesting. He turned huh. the role down because he didn't want to be typecast okay. following role and he was also spooked by the potential of the superman curse right that whole thing and then they also had brendan frazier oh no 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 not you don't think so that i think that would have been interesting he's like he's just like he's he's closest to 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 the type than all these other people like i like jude law but there's a hundred percent no never jude law for superman um, um they also had david boreanaz angel Yes, Angel and Buffy, and now SEAL Team. <laughs> I'm sure that's a show that exists on CBS. <laughs> it, it is actually on CBS. You are correct. Exactly. That's the only place that it would be. That's the only place that that would be on. <laughs> uh, fun fact, I actually, I did background on SEAL Team. It was an experience. That's I was... Cool. Yeah, it was, it was weird. The weirdest part, though, and I, I tell people about this all the time, was your first time when you're getting your costume fit and you're being in holding, they tell you explicitly not to make eye contact with David, David Boreanaz. Ooh. Because it bothers him when background extras make eye contact with him. And it's, like, oh. so weird. And I never experienced it. I was there for five days. And... It was so, but I made sure I was like, don't look him in the eye. Don't look him in the <laughs> eye. But it's like, I never got don't, to don't see Don't call him, him like, Angel. <laughs> 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 don't ask him where Buffy is. Don't ask him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was strange. But they also had Ashton Kutcher at one point in, in talks for the role. It's also terrible. <laughs> As well as um, Brett Ratner was actually lobbying very hard for James Marsden to play superman who eventually played brainiac or yeah he he would play brainiac in no no wait i'm thinking no, of that you're, you're uh, 
Mars Marsters. Marsters. Yes. Not Marston. <laughs> okay. James Marston is Superman. You know, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. And then the final name, um, basically the two front runners at the end of the casting process were James Marsden and Matt Bomer. Yes. Matt Bomer is a perfect Superman type. He, he really is. The part. It's so interesting because ha- have you watched Doom Patrol? Uh, just a little bit. That's one of the shows that I've been meaning to watch. But oh, you. you... Universe app and all that sort of stuff. I think you would really enjoy Doom Patrol. And Matt Bomer, who plays Negative Man on that show, is so freaking good. Um, Matt Bomer also later on voiced Superman in um, Superman Unbound. Okay. Which was basically an adaptation of the Jeff Johns Brainiac storyline. That's right. Yes, I've seen that one. But out of those names, which would you have cast for Superman? Definitely Matt Bomer. Definitely Matt Bomer. Like, he... Again, we're talking about like the Superman type, right? Yeah. That like reset. He mm-hmm. really does fall into that. Like, um, he's a little thinner than like what you see now with a lot of superheroes, but like he That's really cool. looks the type. Like, I could see that. The other ones just like I couldn't see David Boreanaz like flying around in like the Superman <laughs> costume or Ashton Kutcher like in like Clark Kent getup. Like, absolutely not. Like, can you imagine we could have had? We could have had an Ashton Kutcher, Scarlett Johansson, Johnny Depp Superman film. That's a cursed project right there. <laughs> and you're talking about Superman curse. That's a curse. <laughs> the world would be cursed. <laughs> but I I would have to say, if it was like Mummy 1 Brendan Fraser, I would have been interested to he see looks- what he would have done. I can see some of it. Uh, yeah, I can. He's 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 got the, the classic good looks he there's like the classic hollywood leading man look right you Mm. got the chiseled jaw dark hair you know you know broad chest and like and like you think about someone like um I, i don't know i'm trying to think of of who would be um a good archetype of that i i feel like maybe you know john ham john ham's that's perfect good good example of that and um, if, if you think about Brendan Fraser, he's kind of that, but like to a cartoonish degree, to some degree, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. everything's a little bit more exaggerated on him. Um, same thing with like Bruce Campbell, you yes. know, especially in the uh, 80s. Same like that, but like, but pushed cart- a bit cartoonish in like the proportions of his features and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's why they're like good at like leading man comedy because they don't feel like so like serious. So I yeah. can see some of it. I could see like him in like um like a Superman for all seasons sort of look, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That would be interesting yeah. for sure. Make him look like a thumb. <laughs> God. That's all I'm gonna be able to see now. That's one of my favorite <laughs> Superman books, and now that's all I'm gonna be able to see when I read that book. Uh, but it still works. It still it really does. Works. It absolutely does. Um so after the trials and tribulations of trying to get a Superman film off the ground, they finally made it happen in 2006 with Superman Returns, directed by um you know controversial Brian Singer. Um <laughs> this is this film was marketed and was basically positioned as a spiritual successor and kind of a loose sequel to the Reeve films. Yes. And it starred Brandon Routh in the role of Superman with Kate Bosworth as Lois Lane, Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, and 
our boy James Marsden as Richard White, nephew of Perry White. He left X-Men for that. He did. And yeah. X-Men 3 was neither better nor worse without him. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Because, oh. <laughs> yeah, because Singer and his writers uh, and Marsden jumped ship to do Superman Returns. Yeah. Singer wanted to do a Superman movie. And they're like, hey, you want a Superman movie? Here's your Superman movie. You know, go for it. And he's like, yes. Yeah. Forget about he took his entire X2 crew. It's yeah ridiculous. But yeah. Um, really through the X-Men movies for a loop. But that's a yeah. conversation for another day. Oh, definitely. Um, and then this this film really is interesting because like this is the way that I always describe this to people is like this is like an art house Superman film. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this is like a Superman film that is still trying to like figure out where its footing is, what exactly it wants to be. But one thing that I have universal praise for always is uh, Brandon Routh playing Clark Kent Superman. Yeah. Like, yeah. What What did you think of Brandon Routh? Because they went with another. Um, they went with another unknown for this casting. Yeah, he's good. I mean, it really is. Everything is trying to be like the Richard Donner Superman, including Ralph's performance as Clark and Superman, like really trying to be like Reeve. And mm-hmm. I was watching some of this, uh, you know, as I said, when you called, I was watching a scene from it. I was really struck by how young he was. Yes. He's really young. He's 40 now. Mm-hmm. And this was 2006. So he was like 26 in yeah. this role. And he... And look, watching these scenes, I was like, he's really young. Like he he's looks really young. young, and he looks young too. And now, like, I mean, we should talk about too because he played Superman in Crisis on Infinite Absolutely. Earths for CW. Great, he was perfect. the best thing about the entire pitch. Thing. Perfect. I that yeah. that second episode is my favorite of the entire crossover. Yes, hundred percent. He works so well. He like he was so good in Superman returns as superman he really works well but like he aged appropriately into it too and mm-hmm. i don't know he wears the age really well he he doesn't look 40 um yeah. they they added some gray to his hair to give him the kingdom come look yeah and it's like he, he really worked really really well like when he was on screen i was like this guy's superman now i like the other guy that they have playing superman and like supergirl and all that like he's good. i like him a lot yeah he's really good I mean, but it didn't do him any favors to be on screen with Ralph. <laughs> no. Really, it really didn't. No, and especially didn't. the suit that they gave Ralph, too. He looked oh. so good with the black S, and it just fits so well. And incredible. the way that he played it. Such the trunks. Great, the trunks. Yeah, he made the trunks work. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, was great. Like, it's like, and everyone was like, can you give the guy more? And when yeah. they, And when he leaves you know after that episode and he's not in the rest of it until the that final shot i was like what a disappointment like to not have this guy in more as superman like i don't know i don't know what the constraints were but like but like to have like you're like they must have known that they struck gold like when they were filming and then to give them the little the donners flying through the air winking at the camera you know it's like i was like i I was, I was, it was the Leo gif, you know, the Leo meme that's yeah. pointing, around, pointing. I was yeah. like, that was like that. I was like, it was like that's Superman. Like, like you know, um, he so he works really well. Um, Superman, you were right. You were saying it's like an art house Superman film. It's it's real low key, right? It's real focused on just people. Um, sort of the feeling of Superman, you know, the flying scenes and you know him being around. 
um, you know, giving him a son in the movie at the time was like controversial. And I think it, it works in, in the movie, right? right. Um, for the, the general thing, you know, the son becomes the father and the father becomes the son. He's echoing what, you know, Jorel said and it, that works well. That gives you some, some oomph to the character. Um, and of course, you know, years later, they actually give him a son, you know, in yep. the comics. And it really, really sure. works, as we've talked about. And maybe they should have, like, played more into it. Because most of the movie is, like, it, I don't know, until, like, the very end. Like, maybe they were worried about people with their reaction to it, right? Superman having a kid. So they wanted to hide it for most of the movie before they really did it. But if they like did it, like just just like own it and like make it like a whole major aspect of the entire movie, I think it would have been good. I think it probably would have been a stronger part of the movie. Yeah, I agree. And I think I mean, it was definitely a controversial thing. It also feels weird, like looking back at it with we were talking about how young Brandon Ruth Routh looks like he's got like a five, six year old son. And this also, I've always had this question. I want to, you know, get with you on this, how you feel about this. Does this, since it's technically, they've said in different interviews and stuff, that this is technically a sequel to Superman 2. Yes. Like, this is supposed to be, like, the continuation on from that. So, logistically, throughout the movie, <laughs> yes. Lois Lane doesn't know that this is Superman's child. So... Does she, because they only, as far as we know from Superman 2, they only slept together that one time in the Fortress of Solitude when he didn't yes. have his powers. Yes. And then they had the amnesia kiss. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, he, you know, he leaves to go search for Krypton. Nine months later, she just has a baby. And there's no question on who the father is. Now, does she... <laughs> Does she actually think it's not his kid or is she just not doesn't want to talk about it? From what I understand, she didn't think it was his kid until he like lifts up the piano and use and very violently uses it to crush one of. Right. He murders. Henchmen. He commits. Yeah. Murder. Self-defense, but kind of but like, like you like you do at five, six years old. Yeah. <laughs> We've all started there. Leave some effects on him. Um. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I don't know, but definitely it implicates that like that was from that and that she, that she doesn't remember. And there's some issues of consent there, you know, as soon as that happens, you know, it's like, mm, you know, but uh, let's not get into it. It's extremely yeah, problematic the more you get into it. The yeah. thing that I do want to get into, though, is probably the the scene that everyone remembers from this film, which is the plane catch. I thought you were going to talk about Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor screaming wrong. Because that's the scene that I remember. That was the second one. That was part two of this. <laughs> <laughs> but like that plane catch yes. is probably one of the most Superman things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And the and the way that they choreograph it with him like having to tear the wings off to mm-hmm. make sure that he could like balance it correctly when he catches it. It's so well done that it makes me wonder why they didn't put more effort into the rest of the action for the remainder of the movie. Yeah. It's got this really big action set piece. Like that's like end of act one, right? Yeah. It's um, like halfway through the film. Maybe like you, you 
like there should be an escalation, right, of your stakes, an escalation of your action throughout your movie. You want to have a big action set piece in Act One of your of your action movie, right, to hook people, whether it's at the very beginning or whether it's at, at the end of Act One. You want to like hook them in, but then to not be able to like top it at all is like, well, you know, where do you go from there, and how do you really handle this sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's an amazing sequence. I love that. Yeah. Like, yes, he can do all these things and he's powerful and he's fast and he can fly and he's invulnerable, but like he's working against like gravity and time and weight and he's like trying to, you know, be careful with the people inside and you get those like those elements there that like Superman, the, you know, this, this, you know, amazingly powered person has to like be delicate around Mm -hmm. this, you know, extremely volatile situation is like a really, you know, nice way to, to give you some stakes in your movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, I love that. And yeah, the whole like callback to the flying is statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel and, and all that sort of stuff. And like, yeah, it's a great way to have like Superman return to the public consciousness is have ah. that yeah, catch, you know, in the middle of the field. So yep, yeah, and there it is. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, it was it's it's so interesting because I don't know if I would consider it a good Superman film. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a bad Superman film. It's really weird, especially like we talked about just a second ago, like looking back on how Ralph handles the character now Mm -hmm. and seeing Mm -hmm. that in in Crisis, he was essentially playing the exact same Superman just later on in his timeline. And it's so interesting, like seeing because they basically lifted his hairstyle, his wardrobe from his Clark Kent from superman returns yeah yeah the fact that that's also kind of technically reeves superman so he's technically in the crisis as well um it's really interesting and watching him come back for that i was like give me a show on him put yeah put him in the movies and there was like this rumor going around right after crisis that they were like you know they're they're talking about like an hbo max series and i'm like Okay, don't tease me like that. Like, if we're going to do this, like, <laughs> go in on this because I'm there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that's, again, like, I, I think they know they struck gold. Um, whether they choose to do something with it or not is, like, up to them. Um, gosh, that would be great. That's what I want, especially yeah. because we're super light on Superman stuff right now. You know, the movies seem to be completely halted with him and all that. So, if you're worried about, you know, competing with yourself, you've got it. Like you got the avenue, go for it. Yeah. I am I am really looking forward to the um the Superman and Lois show. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Also doing like the CW stuff. Um they're yes. bringing in the Super Sons for this but making That's them right. like just two essentially two John Kents and we're going to see what happens there. Um <laughs> I'm interested. I'm interested and I really I honestly do like Hoechlin as or Hecklin, however you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. as Superman. Yes, I do Just, too. I like him. His characterization, like even his his Clark Kent, I really, really dig. Like mm-hmm. when he's he's talking about um, when they're going to Catco, and he's just like, "Don't worry, I've I've got Sway with Cat Grant," and mm-hmm. like she's immediately just all over him, and he looks back, <laughs> and he's just like Sway. Like, to it's like it's so he knows it's played with such fun and heart there's a scene where he's like stopping like a bank robbery and the guy's like Mm -hmm. doing the classic like shooting guns at him it doesn't work so he punches him breaks his hand and he has that self-referential moment where he's like so 
I've, I've never understood, like, if the bullets don't work, why the punching? And it's like, <laughs> it's so fun. And I really, really dig what they're doing with him. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that show. Yeah, me too. I think that'll be interesting. But yeah, Superman Returns. It's interesting. It, it, it's, it's quite beautiful at parts. It's a little too slow at parts. Mm-hmm. Um, it has some weird, like, Superman versus an island of kryptonite isn't a great finale. Like, <laughs> it's more metaphorical, but it doesn't really, you know, like, it, it's not what you want. Right. You know? And, but it, uh, it doesn't, for, for what it's worth, it doesn't go super heavy into the Jesus allegories either. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which was not the case with our next film, Man <laughs> of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was trying so hard. For I, was, I was reaching so far so uh, for that segue. It's good. It's um, a good segue. I think we got to still count it. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, Man of Steel released in 2013. Warner Brothers joint once again. Um, directed by Zack Snyder, who at this point had directed such films as Watchmen. 300 mm-hmm. and my personal favorite sucker punch i love mm. that film i love right. i i unabashedly love that film it's not a good movie but i love it so much i i don't think i don't know, i haven't seen the whole thing i never that, i haven't seen the whole thing that movie so was my first that was my first exposure to oscar isaac as an actor oh looking back right. on it it's so weird but um right. but yeah so oscar isaac one of my so, favorites. He's incredible. Yeah. He's incredible. I'm I'm really like we need to get him in something. Something's not Star him. Wars. Yeah, agreed. Especially because and he would agree too now, because he's been <laughs> very outspoken. <laughs> um, Somehow Palpatine has returned. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so bad. Um so we have uh, a new Superman in the role, Henry Cavill, or Cavill, or Cable. Cavill. I've Cavill. heard it Cavill. 20 different Cavill. pronunciations. We'll, we'll go with Cavill. Cavill. Uh, Amy Adams finally got to uh, play Lois Lane here mm-hmm. with Russell Crowe playing Jor-El. Mm-hmm. And Michael, I will find him, Shannon. As I will General find Bond. him! <laughs> <laughs> and then your heirs! <laughs> <laughs> Now that uh, quote, those quotes are just going to bleed together for me for the rest of my life now. Uh, <laughs> and my only, my only regret is we never got to see Michael Shannon in the true goatee with his like flowy Michael Stamp pajama costume. But it was a complete reboot once again. Because mm-hmm. Superman Returns did not make as much money as Warner Brothers wanted, even though it definitely made money. Yes. And initially, the development of this, I want to talk about real quick. Because mm-hmm. when this was first like put out to DC and Warner Brothers, they were like, all right, we're going to start taking... We're, we're going to take pitches from whoever wants to throw their hat in the ring. And so five different comics writers... I'm sure there were more, but these are the five that I found the most information about. Okay. Uh, Through their hat in the ring, they all pitched stories. First off, uh, Mark Miller or okay. Millar. Mark Millar uh, wanted to do a film with Matthew Vaughn as director. And they really wanted to do a full on, like, gritty, uh, like, grounded reboot. Mm. Uh, 
Brad Meltzer. So also, that one, not not uh, not quite my tempo. Yeah. Not quite mine either. So Brad Meltzer also threw his hat in the ring for it. He really he wanted to... identity crisis fame. Exactly. I couldn't find anything about his pitch, but I can only assume that it involved um, the Justice League Watchtower and Dr. Light is the villain. Oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Please, no. Other writers that included their pitches were Grant Morrison, who oh, essentially, man. yep, Grant Morrison, who essentially wanted to do an adaptation of All-Star Superman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Johns also threw his hat in the ring. I mm-hmm. really dig Jeff Johns's love for Superman. I yes. really, really like it. Um, and he was going to play very close to what ended up becoming um, Se- Secret Origins. Okay, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah, he's got a good grasp on Superman. Agreed. And then the final name was Mark Wade, right? Is the biggest Superman fan in the entire world. I have never met anyone, including myself, who I have loved Superman for as long as I can remember. As big of Superman fan as you can be, Mark Wade is much bigger when it comes to his Superman fandom. And a man who was completely outraged by Man of Steel. Yes, very vocal about that. And his yes. pitch basically involved adapting Superman Birthright, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite Superman stories. Right. Yeah. You can see a lot of things that they pulled from comics like Birthright for the film. Mm-hmm. His kind of nomadic, like moving around the world before he becomes Superman, um, fighting giant machines in the middle, in the heart of Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are definitely like parallels but ultimately they ended up going with david s goyer who penned the script writer and director of blade three trinity i'm 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 gonna say it like the uh, third best blade (laughs) i'm gonna say just as oscar isaac would writer david s goyer Who was basically given the job because Nolan was like, hey, you know, Goyer could come up with something. And DC was like, wait a second, you've got you've got a stamp of approval for him. You know what? He's got the job. Let's do it. And it's so uh, anyway, Goyer needs uh, Jonathan Nolan to take his idea and turn it into an actual script. Absolutely right. Yes. So for the role of the eponymous Man of Steel, I have five names, one of which includes Henry Cavill. Mm -hmm. The other four who were in the final talks, the final group that they had pared down from hundreds of actors, included Matthew Good, who Zack Snyder had worked on uh, Watchmen with. He played Ozymandias. Oh, okay. Yeah. Strange. Uh, Ian Somerhalder. Uh, right. Vampire Diaries or yes. True Blood? Vampire Diaries. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, vampire. Fame. We also had Joe Manganiello of True right. Blood. And um, Magic Mike XXL. Correct. The, the, the correct way to reference him. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Army Hammer. Right. Yeah. So this was your pool, those four actors, along with Henry Cavill, and they went with Cavill. How do you feel about like them going with Cavill over these other actors? Um, well, I, I, I really like, I really like Cavill as, as Superman. He's a, he's really good. 
Honestly, he's really good Superman. He is underserved, especially in Batman v Superman and Justice League. But he's good. And I've come to like him even more afterward with uh, Man from Uncle, um, Mission Impossible, and The Witcher. Like with all those, uh, I don't know which of those you've seen, especially yeah, Witcher. All of I'm them. like, yeah. yeah, with Witcher, especially, I'm like, this guy's awesome. Like, I was I'm a big really, fan the, the one that impressed me was Man from Uncle. I mm-hmm. was so taken aback. I was like, oh, because like prior to that, I had seen him and I believe it was, um, Oh, what is that movie? Um, Immortals. Oh, that's right. Totally where forgot he, about that. Where he is like super slimmed down. Like you would not be able to tell physique wise that, mm-hmm. th- that those two characters are played by the same person. Yeah. But just the charm that he had in Man from Uncle. Mm-hmm. I was like, why isn't this in Superman? Yeah. Like, what absolutely. are we doing here? And then him in the witcher which i think i came out with very low expectations mm-hmm. i was very paired back i was like i don't i don't expect this to be very good and i was incredibly impressed yeah. by what they did with that show i really liked it i was interested and then it's a very it's a very off kilter show the structure yeah. of each episode and just the series as a whole is like really throws you for a loop at first mm-hmm. um but i was like first episode on, I was like all in and I really liked him and I really liked the whole thing. And yeah, yeah, there's his Superman doesn't have the charm. Like man of steel is about him, like becoming Superman. Right. right. But then once he becomes Superman, you're like, all right, like where's Superman? And you don't <laughs> get Superman. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's well, strange. and this I have, I have for the longest time, I have been a man of steel apologist. I, mm-hmm try to see the good in this. Uh, maybe it was because it was the first Superman film that I'd gotten in over half a decade. Uh, but I was really hoping that I was going to enjoy this. I remember watching the first trailer and just being blown away because it looked like they were really taking this seriously. Yeah. And I remember, you know, that it was playing some kind of song that was like originally on like the Gladiator soundtrack. Immediately, you could kind of tell there was going to be like religious symbolism. Yeah. And you have no idea just watching the trailer just how much of that there's going to be in this. But uh, (laughs) watching the film, I was um, I was surprised because I wanted them to take it seriously, but it feels like they took it too seriously. Yes. To the point where they couldn't have fun. Right. And I agree. Taking something seriously and having fun, like you can do this, both of them at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I agree. I really like Henry Cavill as an actor. I really like him as Superman, Mm -hmm. but he was done no favors when it comes to the script or the editing. And it's so interesting because there is a good Superman movie in this film. Yeah. Um, It's an, it's yeah. Yeah. I, I have a weird like relationship with the movie. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's like a 50-50 thing for me, right? Yeah. Um, basically, up until um, like the Kansas attack, I, I like the movie quite a bit. You mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, there's a. Hold on. If you can hear someone talking to a dog, let, let me know. Should, <laughs> yeah. I should move into another room. Yeah. I'm gonna move into another room. That should do it. Okay. No lie, I'm 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 kind of glad that that happened because I started noticing. I was like, oh, it's getting dark, it's getting dark in here. So I got to turn on this light at some point, but I don't want to just 
move our our dis or pause the discussion. I might edit this out. I might not. Who knows? Anything's fine. You know, Anything's keep possible. Keep it live. That's good with me. <laughs> I was saying I have a weird relationship with Man of Steel. It's like a 50-50 thing. Mm-hmm. Um, up until about the Kansas attack, I like the film quite a bit when it's more focused on him and sort of his journey. And then after that, with all just the excessive like action and violence and death is just not vibing with me. Yeah. Um, I think Russell Crowe Rus- Russell Crowe rules in this movie, <laughs> and every time he's on screen is when the is when the film is at its best. The opening with him on Krypton, I really really enjoy. You know him flying that weird pterodactyl thing. Yeah. Um, is like so weird and cool. I'm like, what is happening? But I like it. <laughs> every time he shows up, you know, the holograms talking to talking to Clark. It's funny. I almost want to call him Cal. I almost want to call. Yeah, because uh, he doesn't feel like a Clark. Yeah, I, like this version of Superman, I call I would call Cal, and the mm. other ones I would call Clark, and I would rarely call most of them Superman. I would agreed. You know, I call like Batman Batman. I don't call him Bruce, but I would call Superman Clark. Agreed. Um, but I would call this version Cal. Um, but whenever he's talking with Cal, like it's really good. Like when he's talking talking about like all the things and revealing like his past to him, and when he's like, "Oh, you can save them," and like all that sort of stuff is like cool like i'm there it works like the movie's really working when you got that going um but yeah but just so when i saw this movie in theaters i took my niece to see it with me Mm -hmm. me and some family my niece was like 10 superman movie let's do it yeah let's have fun but then by the end i'm like make this thing stop like end (laughs) this all right like uh, like and when superman breaks Zod's neck, which is yeah. the biggest point of contention everyone has. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, now it's over. I was like, I was, at the end, I was like, just kill him. Please get it over with and kill and just and just murder the guy already. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's such a, like, I don't know. Like, it's such a problematic portion of the movie. Right. People, it has its defenders, right? But it's just, it's not really what I would see for Superman. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's the only way that he could stop him. I was like, well, just write your movie differently. You know, yeah, you have <laughs> just, the Phantom Zone right there. Yeah, just write it differently. Yeah. Superman could have taken Zod and flown him to the moon and fought him there instead of destroying almost all of Metropolis. Yeah. And the going from like the gravity engine that's like just like smashing people, like you see people flying up in the air and smashing yeah, them down. It's like it's really hard to watch at points, like especially like we live in a post 9-11 world and there's there's a moment where like perry is trying to get to jenny and they're like reaching to each other in the rubble of the planet it's it's hard to watch it's i just don't need it yeah agreed and it's like i mean i i had the um the benefit of watching a midnight premiere with all college age people i cannot imagine walking into a movie theater being like this is gonna be great with a 10 year old it's superman he's he's (laughs) back oh no no yeah it should have been superman returns that i was taking her to not man of steel yeah and it's so it's so interesting because like they really do play up in what you were saying about cal versus clark they really play up how alien he is Mm -hmm. they really play up this idea that he is um I guess I don't know how I would equate it. 
Um, but he is different and he focuses so hard on how he's different. Yeah. And that's an okay way to take it. That's an okay, like route to go. Mm -hmm. But eventually you have to get to the point where he feels like he's one of us and he feels like he's part of something and it doesn't ever really get to that point across his entire tenure as Superman. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate because again, I think there are good spots about this, even though it is completely just ridiculously unnecessary. I like the action. Mm -hmm. I like the very, it was done. Um, a lot of the fight choreography and visual effects were done by Jay Oliva who did mm-hmm. um who directs a lot of the uh animated dc that's films. right that's and right. he took inspiration from dragon ball z specifically uh, and he's it. yeah and you can see it when they're like flying and hitting each other um the tracking shots cool i actually really like the action piece that's in smallville but mm-hmm. it's like there are certain things and i i still anytime someone you know talks about how problematic man of steel is i was like have you ever watched nando v movies on youtube because <laughs> i always point people to his rewrite because he did such a great job at making that film work mm-hmm. on a fundamental level way better um and just like i i was the person who subscribed to he's not superman yet he's still cal he all of this collateral damage stuff is going to be addressed and he's going to learn from it and we're going to have a whole thing. And to a certain extent, they did address it in Batman v Superman, but I can look back, looking back on this now, it's still probably one of my favorite DCEU films. And I have to make that distinction, but um, it's, it's definitely got a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, you're talking about the Christ imagery. I mean, it's all over it, right? Like, he oh, goes boy. to see the priest, and there's Christ in the stained glass right behind him. It's very obvious when he flies out of the ship to go to Earth, like he's in the cross pose. Yeah, and you're like, I got it, I got it. <laughs> um, and you're like, and I'm like, hey, you do know that he was created by two Jewish guys, right? Um, <laughs> like he's Moses, not yeah, not not Jesus. But over the years, Superman was turned from Moses to Jesus, and that's. You know, all right, whatever. But I mean, that's like the main American allegory in so many superhero movies is the the Christ figure um, coming from another place to save us from ourselves and sacrificing themselves for us in ways that we couldn't and we're not good enough. But they, you know, they do it anyway. Yeah, I get it. Like it's a pre- it's a pretty easy allegory. Um, it works. You know, you want your Superman movie to like get his point across there you go but jesus didn't come down off the cross and destroy all of jerusalem like (laughs) so your allegory begins to fall apart a little bit when you do that um but yeah you know it's interesting like i said i'm real split on it i don't hate it i I, like just the whole like him killing at the end is like a problem but him just letting so much collateral damage happen is the big issue for me like, right. that's the thing. Like, because, yeah. like I said, at that point, I'm like, well, I mean, you know, at this point, you know, just snap. What's one neck. more? Yeah. Yeah. yeah people... Like, I, I absolutely agree. Like, I don't have as big a problem with him snapping Zod's neck. I mean, I I actually really liked after he killed Zod, like, that really, like, guttural, like, yell mm-hmm. that he has because he's just, like, he's overcome with emotion. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind that as much as I minded him letting so many people die. And it's right. like, 
because and you can tell and once again i have to i have to shout out nando on this like you can tell that they know what he's supposed to do because he does it in the smallville fight he saves that guy falling out of the helicopter Mm -hmm. he saves Mm -hmm. people in that fight but then in the metropolis fight you know there's when he kicks that tanker over to him and he just like floats over it and it blows up behind him and i'm like people died you just let people die and it's that's the big problem that I have. It is it. a big problem. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to talk about the movie without getting into that. It's really yeah. hard to get it, get past. Especially if like, it defines it. Yeah. Especially if you like the film, like, cause there are moments in the film that I really like. And again, like there is a good Superman film somewhere in this, but yeah. you can't think about the film critically without, bringing up the fact that this isn't something that Superman would allow to happen, even as like a proto Superman who hasn't, you know, earned his wings yet. Like Clark Kent wouldn't let that happen. Yeah, for sure. And it's also weird. Um, I hadn't thought about this in a while, but I remember thinking that uh, this was the version of Superman that would exist if uh, his parents were assholes. <laughs> and the Kents are kind of assholes. They kind of like, are. Like, Pa Kent, you know, Kevin Costner's solid. He's uh, great. But it's just, but it's just kind of like, you know what, son? Hide your candle under a bushel basket. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't do anything. You know, I know you got these powers, but maybe don't do anything. And then Ma Kent is like, you know what? you don't no one deserves to be saved by you you know no one is innocent and i'm like well of course clark just like just wanders and doesn't do anything and doesn't save anyone for so long because like his parents sucked and it's finally when jor when it's finally when jor-el comes around he's like hey clark you can actually do something is when like he finally starts to do something and that's not what i i like at all i don't like it at all i I like that like suran is the, the the product of two Right, that like the Kents instill in him parts and and you know his biological the House of L like instills it in parts and together boom Superman. Instead, you're like oh, Jor-El has to counterbalance all this other stuff this that he was raised with. Um, other and things it, I like. Oh, you should go go. Oh, I'll I run was down just to say it, it it puts a lot of pressure when you have to like really make Jor-El work and he's a hologram the whole time mm-hmm. but he has to offset his upbringing like I have always subscribed to the idea of my preferred Smallville is a Smallville that knows about Clark yeah. like everybody knows but they keep it a secret mm-hmm. because like they're a tight-knit community and they just wouldn't let that go have you ever um have you ever read Huck I haven't Miller. read Huck. I have not. You should read Huck. It's Mark Miller. Uh, Raphael yeah. Albuquerque is on art. It's one of the best Superman stories that doesn't feature Superman in it. Mm-hmm. I really, really like it. And it involves a very tight-knit community who knows about this guy's abilities, but mm-hmm. like they're a family. And yeah. it's like the thing that was missing for me from Man of Steel was ironically the thing that they tried to like shove in our faces was that he represented hope and mm-hmm. this superman is in no way hopeful like you can blazon yeah. it on his chest but it doesn't mean anything if he doesn't back it up yeah yeah it, 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 he's not gonna yell at you that the symbol means hope as he's smashing through your skyscraper you know and and killing you and all your co-workers like it no, 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 it's okay it's okay i'm taking it's it hope. back it's all right it's hope. <laughs> <laughs> um i was gonna say 
I like Lawrence Fishburne as Perry White. You know, he's he's good. He, he's a real bit player. Like most of the side characters are just in for like doing a little lifting and like rounding out the cast. But he's good. Um, Feora uh, is pretty good. Um, she's really good. Just as like the secondary, you know, villain. She's great. Um, Christopher Maloney as the um, the colonel that is working. Oh, yeah. with, he's really good. Who has like the scenes with Feora. There's that moment in, in Smallville where she like wipes out like all his team mm-hmm. and all he has is a is like a big knife and he's like, well, <laughs> all right. And he pulls out the knife. He's like, let's go for it. Like, like yeah. he's going to die, but he's like, well, I'm not going to, you know, stop. And then he does the pushes the the, the, the plane down into the, the Phantom Zone generator to knock them all out. And he's like, isn't it like a, a good death is its own reward? And like, he's like, yeah smashes them and it's like good like that's that's dark but it, it works you know in this part and you're the side characters with their own things this isn't superman you know blowing everyone up in this case but yeah it's it's it, it and it's meant to like seed like this larger universe too and just i don't know they never quite i don't, I don't know let's talk about batman v superman <laughs> I, know, I know you're dreading these last entries so we'll we'll try to not spend a whole lot of time because we did cover these in the batman episode as well um if you haven't listened to that episode we dove deep on these films so it's not going to be as in-depth here but um jumping into this i have to say i still love the opening of this film Yes. Opening where we are watching the climax of Man of Steel from the ground level Mm -hmm. and see. And it's almost like the the um, the creators were like watching this and they're like, oh, yeah, now I see what they what everybody was talking about. This is a problem. Yeah. (laughs) And it's and it's like it's really good, but also like. You know, we'll we'll try to steer it to more towards like Cavill's um, performance and then his like plot, but like he he has to face the consequences of that. And I mm-hmm. like that they decided, okay, we're going to take that route with it. He shows up at the UN. Um, I don't. I really. This is a really minor thing, but it's so major to me. He never has the spit curl at any <laughs> point in any of these films. It bothers me as somebody who naturally with my my thin asian hair would never be able to do that spit (laughs) curl it bothers me that he has the ability and they just never did it um but they did some cosmetic changes to him they brightened up his suit a little bit they Mm -hmm. did some really minor things um he bulked up even more so which seems almost impossible he's massive there's that scene in Man of Steel when he comes out of the the ocean, he oh, looks shit. like he's made out of bowling balls. Like yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and then he got bigger for for Donna yeah. Justice, and it's like why? <laughs> but it, it's yeah, I guess so. But he his whole emotional arc is like continuing on from Man of Steel, where he feels alien, he feels alone. Um, there's more Christ imagery, him coming to the flooding. Um, people reaching out from the sky. Um, they have at the end. Mm-hmm. They have yeah. that weird bathtub scene with him and Lois. <laughs> they have what you talked about earlier with Ma basically going like, "These people don't deserve you," and I'm like, "That's not what you're supposed to be teaching him." Yeah, 
And yeah. it's it's really weird the journey that he goes on in this film because he, it's it feels like they're just placing him for the narrative. He doesn't have a through line for his character. Right. Yeah. And and as we talked about last time, I still have not seen the 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 ultimate cut, the three hour one. You know, mm-hmm. but in the theatrical cut, he barely even talks. Yes. Like he this is not it, it, this is much more a Batman movie than a Superman movie. And that's Absolutely. tough, you know, for the Superman's characterization. Like, you're really trying to grow this character. And you're talking about, like, Man of Steel being, like, you know, the origin. Now he becomes Superman. And this movie just really sideswipes, like, that whole, like, Superman arc. Like, he's still, like, he doesn't get enough time to grow. He mm-hmm. dies at the end. Uh, most of it is Batman. Um, it doesn't do the character any favors. And, yeah. It, and it's like... The Kents and what they're doing, like in 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 the in, in Man of Steel, and they used it in the trailer. They they pull the line from All Star Superman by Morrison, who's mm-hmm. like, you know, mankind will follow you, uh, stumble, you know, they'll, they'll run, fall. stumble, they'll fall, yeah. but one day they'll join you in the sun. And like, it's like that's perfect, right? Like, and that's yeah. all Jor El, and now Jor El's gone, and you've got. Hawk Kent being like, don't do anything, you know, maybe don't save anyone ever. And Ma Kent being like, they don't deserve you. <laughs> and then there's that weird scene where he's in the Arctic and he meets Pa Kent's meets ghost. Meets Pa Kent again. And he talks about uh, eating a hero cake while the horses drowned and screamed. Yeah. That, and I'm like, I so don't... is the moral of the movie, don't be a hero, like don't do anything for anyone? I don't know. It's very strange. It doesn't Did know you... what I'm talking about. Did... Did you know that Zack Snyder says big that that's of Ayn that? Rand. Oh, absolutely, he is. <laughs> but that to Zack Snyder, that's the Fortress of Solitude. Is that Mount Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, it makes it's so yeah. It's so funny. Just like thinking about it. Really, this film feels like Zack Snyder just did the Superman film to get to Batman. Because he seems much more interested in Batman in this film. Superman, like you said, barely gets anything. And at the point that he actually does really come into the story, he is just this stone-faced, angry, like, god just coming down on people. Yeah. And fighting this guy. And it's like that it's a clear, like, you don't understand what Superman is or what he represents. He's very Old Testament God, you know? Yes. And, like, he looks very unhappy to save people. Um, All the time. That, he's never... That he's montage. Never he's pulling people off of the roof, and he's dragging the ship and all that sort of stuff, and he just looks so miserable. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's unfortunate. Um, oh, and then the beginning scene where they shoot Jimmy Olsen in the face. I... Um, that, makes me, that makes me so mad. And then Zack Snyder was like, well, I wanted to have some fun with him. Uh, that's like, version oh, of fun. did you? What that's fun was there? Um, and then Superman, like, smashes that guy through a wall. And you're just like, this is bad. This is no good. But, yeah, like, the beginning scene is, like, it. it I like that opening with Batman driving into the city and trying to save people. And, like, gives you that perspective. And then you get it. You're like, oh, I get why he is the way he is and has this stance against Superman. But... Yeah. I don't know. Um the sewer, the Batman Superman fight's pretty solid. Um Yeah. It's very pretty. Yeah. Um Doomsday um, is not pretty. No, it's not pretty. 
Wonder Woman um, is good, but she's barely in it. You know, um, it's it doesn't nothing. I don't know. There's just so. Yeah, it it, it did the same thing that they were trying to do in Amazing Spider-Man 2, where they were trying to cram Mm -hmm. in so much to be like, look what's coming. And it's like, I've always said, like, in a comic book, you can do that because you can, like, segment that stuff and you can litter it throughout. But -hmm. it's like with a movie, like, that's it. And once that movie's done, all the people are going to be thinking about is that, oh, they didn't have time to do anything because they were trying to cram all this other stuff in yeah yeah absolutely and it really it really hurts not just this film but the the following film yes which i was looking at this and maybe i just forgot from our talk last time but it still blows my mind that dawn of justice came out in 2016 and justice league came out in 2017 it was like a year later it doesn't feel like a year later well it's still it blows my mind that batman came out in 2016 that feels like a decade ago uh, I I think I think emotionally and mentally it is. Yeah. Um, it's like somebody put up. I saw some post the other day where it was like Marvel 2014 hit different, and it looked and it showed the two Marvel entries in 2014 were Winter Soldier and Guardians Volume One. <laughs> and I look back at that, I was like, whoa, what a world that was back in 2014. <laughs> Man. Yeah. 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 And it's so it's so weird. Like we're we're definitely not going to spend much time on Justice League here, but like it's because it's even less of a Superman movie. It's even less of a Superman movie. He shows up in the final. Maybe we could call it a fifth, but the big <laughs> the big story for him in this is the mustache. He was <laughs> filming uh, Mission Impossible Fallout during the reshoots done for this uh, by Joss Whedon, and they had to have him come back. They had to have him come back. I don't know why, um, but they had him come back and he was somehow contractually obligated to keep his mustache. Pretty great. That's Paramount just trolling. Oh, absolutely. Like, no, no, he's got to he's got to keep the mustache. I totally can't regrow it. <laughs> got to keep it. <laughs> and that's and, you know, I have to I have to say that's probably, you know, looking back at the at, you know, throughout the history and they're like back when we did Superman. We didn't even need to worry about a mustache because he was animated. <laughs> and like it's it's so funny, like watching um, watching the film, because all you heard about going into the film was like, dude, CGI on the mustache, CGI. Yeah. On the mustache. And I'm like, you know what? Just put it at the very beginning of the film so we see it and we can get over it. And that's exactly what they do. Yeah. It opens up on the phone. Yeah, the little found footage, and it's bad. It's so bad. They should have just gave him the mustache. Just, just let said, him re- just have him grow out the whole beard. Yeah, just, just be up. like, you know what? He was, you know, dead. He, you know, grew out the beard. Whatever. Like, it's fine. He would have rocked it. He knows how to handle a beard. And it's just, it's so, it's so ass backwards that they decided, <laughs> you know, we're going to just... We're going to half-ass this because we have to get this done and we're just going to move on from there. Yeah. Uh, Also, Superman's uh, rebirth in the movie doesn't make any sense because at the end of Batman v Superman, he's clearly alive. You see the little, the the ground begins to float. Like, oh, he's going to come back to life. And, but in this movie, they're like, we have to like go through all this mother box stuff. 
and the uh, apocalypse style revival and all that sort of thing. It's like, but he was already coming back to life at the end of Batman v Superman. So what's the point of this? Yeah. Um, also, his death at the end of BVS when he's just like, well, I guess I'll die now. Okay, bye. Uh, like, yeah, you know. that, that's that's the pure guess I'll die. Like, yeah. And it's like. <laughs> And literally, it, it always makes me laugh when someone's just like, he was, it was, there was no other way. He had to die. And I was like, Wonder Woman was five yards from him. Can yeah, do just, all the stuff he can. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and probably wouldn't have gotten stabbed in the chest because we'll she's good at her job. Well, just thrown it. That too. And you just, okay, have Superman hold Doomsday's um, arms behind him and then she can stab him, you know? Or maybe it would have to be like a like a Dragon Ball Z style thing where, you know... Uh, oh, yeah, the special beam cannon. Shoot through, special, gotta shoot the, yeah. He's got to shoot the... Um, Pickle's got to <laughs> shoot the special beam can through both of them. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm just like, why? What? All these things are like, well, that's the only way. Every time it's like, well, he had to die or because of X, Y, and Z, or, oh, he had a snap, sod snack. You know, you know these are works of fiction that go through multiple <laughs> drafts and scripts, and you can just say, well, I'll just move this piece. I'll just rewrite the section right here. And all of a sudden, he doesn't have to snap his neck, or he doesn't have to, you know, let himself be impaled and all this sort of stuff. But Justice League is a mess, and there's the whole Snyder Cut thing and all the other aspects of it and obviously there's supposed to be him in like the black suit and stuff like that too or even the idea that he would come back and remain evil for the whole film mm-hmm. and like there would be justice league part two and he would be an agent of dark side and they'd have to like you know convince him or there'd even be time travel stuff and there's going to be like way more stuff you know way more things involved with what was supposed to happen but in this he just comes back and when he fights all the justice league real fast is kind of a fun scene you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When Flash is running around and you see his eyes move, I popped. I was like, "All right, cool. Like that's yeah. a cool little moment." Flash freaks out and he decides just to choke slam that woman randomly on the ground. I'm confusing yeah. real life with Justice League. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh, uh, but no, like that stuff or like when he's like moving the whole building, you know, and flash sees him and stuff like that. It's like that. Cool. Cool. You know, that works. Um, it's pretty cheesy when he comes back. He's like, I'm a big fan of truth, but I'm my also favorite. a fan of justice. And Those then are my he... favorite lines of the entire movie. And like, wow. It's, just, it's so flat and he's yeah. smiling through it. Like he's like, I'm trying my best. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. Him and they coming. did like, they did like him. weird highlights on his suit. Um, like it's all reflective now. It looks way more like the Superman lives suit now. Like it, it looks weird. I don't even remember. This is like when you pointed out to me how Batman's regular suit was different in Justice League. And I was like, <laughs> I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I don't remember what's going on. I've, I've forgotten. It's not even that like I blocked it out. It just, it just, it's like. It's like drinking water, you know, you don't really remember one sip from the next and eventually it's gone. You're like, I guess I had that. Um, but water's more refreshing than Justice League. It's um, true. But when he fights, um, what's his name? Steppenwolf, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of fun when he's like so OP and like Steppenwolf can't keep up with him and stuff like that. Like, cool. You know, that's fun. Um, yeah. Cavill is good with, with him, but that's about it. It's bad. It's a bad scene. 
It is. It is. And, and I I will say I do like the little post credits, the Superman Flash race oh, yeah. thing that they have. It's a cute scene. Um but it's that's really all it is. It's just a cute thing that really doesn't make the movie any better. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And that that wraps up until today. There's rumors that there's going to be a Supergirl movie. Hopefully mm-hmm. it's just as good as the Donner Supergirl movie. Um, there's talks of, you know, we mentioned earlier, uh, Brandon Routh possibly getting an HBO Max thing going on. Um, Henry Cavill has had his, like, he will not let go of the Superman role. He is like, I am going to be Superman. You can't stop me from being Superman. Um, <laughs> uh, there was a brief cameo in the post credit scene of Shazam, which I loved that movie. I still haven't seen Shazam. Oh, it's so fun. Like, we talked about, like, a good, like, superhero movie that just kind of takes you in and hugs you. And it's, like, it's fun. Yeah. Shazam does that for sure. I need to see it. It's one of those. It, I don't know what I've been doing with my time. You know, I haven't You've been seen planning Shaz- a convention, man. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I haven't seen Shazam or Aquaman or Birds of Prey. I'm sure I'm missing another one. I don't even know. I've missed several. Well, I, I would definitely go out of your way to see Shazam and Birds of Prey. I wasn't super impressed by Aquaman, personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was pretty to look at, but beyond that, it really wasn't anything special. But yeah. Birds of Prey was so much fun, and Shazam yeah. was equally a good time. Yeah, But there, there is a, there is a post credit scene where Superman sort of shows up. Isn't it from the neck down? Yeah, and it's okay. it's it's definitely not Cavill. They basically got uh, Zachary Levi's stunt double for the film to wear the suit, but it's it it was a it was a cute nod. It was a cute nod, yeah. um, and that brings us to our official rankings. Mm-hmm. We have rankings for both the films and the actors. Is there either one you want to start with? Let's do actors first, since it's so short. So short. We only have three on the list. Um, starting off, we'll, we'll do the, what we did last time. We'll popcorn each one. Um, what was your number three? Who's in the number three spot for your actors? My number three spot is Ralph. Interesting. Um, now, like, like we talked about, I liked him. I mean, and I especially loved him, you know, in crisis. Yeah. And number three out of three isn't too far of a fall. Really. No, not at all. But I just think, you know, the amount that he's done and just like certain, some of the limitations of Superman Returns, while I like him, he is pretty indebted to Reeve. So mm-hmm. I'd put him at number three. Yeah. Okay. My number three is Cavill. Okay. I think it's, and it's, unfortunately, most of it is not his fault, but it's just he is saddled with a Superman who has no joy, no hope in him. And it's really it, it's a slog to really try to find reasons that he beat out the other two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So if you're number two, my number two would be Cavill. Nice. Um, I think maybe he's 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 retroactively pushed up by like The Witcher and and Mission Impossible. Now, Mission Impossible did more favors for him than any Superman role. This so year. Shot just the shot of him reloading his arms, oh. you know, was like, hold on, I'm <laughs> I'm seeing Henry Cavill in a whole new light here. Um, so maybe he's he's a little higher 
because of <laughs> other stuff, non-Superman yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, I put him at number two. Yeah, I I have Routh at number two. Um, just like you said, retroactively, I had to include his Crisis performance mm-hmm. because it was so, it was so good. Like the short time that he got, he was Superman. Mm-hmm. And even you know, I love the scene where he's on the Wave Rider with, you know, standing with Ray, <laughs> and they're like going back and forth like oh do you are you also lactose intolerant he's like not that i know of <laughs> and like going back and forth and the way that ralph was able to convey both of that was really cool yeah. um and i i you know watching returns again i looked back at it font more fondly than i did you know initially watching it it's you know it really feels very different from superhero movies today mm-hmm. and not in a way that like that Ben Affleck Daredevil feels different. Like yeah. Ben Affleck Daredevil is like, they haven't figured this out yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Superman Returns is like, this is just a really different take. Like this is like something that hasn't been, I mean, this is a negative word, but poisoned by the, like the big, you know, cinematic universe stuff where we got to do X, Y, and Z every time. It's got to be like this. And we got to execute it like this. It's like, it's really, it's doing its own thing. And that helps it, I think. Agreed. So I think we we have a unanimous number one on here, and it's it's got to be Christopher Reeve. Absolutely, um, just the embodiment really of Superman. Everything is indebted to him. Um, we didn't talk about it, but the his his changing back and forth right between Clark and Superman. Oh yeah, I I think it's is it in one or is it two? It's no, it's it's in the first movie where he literally over the course of like maybe 90 seconds goes from Clark Kent takes the glasses off while Lois is in the other room, mm-hmm. straightens up his posture, becomes yeah. a whole different person. It gains like an and inch. It's, it, it's not even 90 seconds. It's like 10. It's incredible. It's, yeah. yeah. And it's no, no CGI needed. Like it's all in his physicality. Like his physicality as Clark Kent is hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's bumbling, mm-hmm. but if you look at it a certain way, you could also see all of his movements as Clark, as strategic movements. Yeah. Any of his um, clumsiness is always attributed to something like when he like runs into uh, Lois during their mugging in the alley to catch the bullet. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. all of that stuff is just really well utilized in yeah. his portrayal. And really used in Morrison's all-star Superman. Mm-hmm. He really does the, the posture change a lot very, very extreme with him there. He does the accidental things to like save a bunch of people and always maintain like the dual identities. Like it's really yeah. in there. Like it just, you see that seep into everything. Yeah. And it's, you know, Morrison really like touched on a lot of what Christopher Reeve had. Um, I also think I mentioned this before, Jeff Johns, his view of Superman is very influenced by mm. the Reeve films, because every time he's been on the character, he's always been with Gary Frank, who draws him as Christopher Reeve. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that that for me, that helps a lot. For sure. Yeah, but, he really uh, does. And it's it's great how like it's become so iconic. Like it's it's up there with like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, uh Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, as pitch perfect casting that mm-hmm. if it had been anyone else, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And that brings us to the films. Yes. So from nine to one, we're going to rank them. At number nine, what do you have? Nine. Hold on, hold on. Did I miscount? 
I have eight. Superman oh, one I, through four. I, I counted the Fleischer cartoons. That's my bad. Oh, that's tough to put. That's tough to rank those. I it, it was tough for me. Um, I I I'll I'll take it out of the list, but it was I'll just say it was very high. So, I would put it very high. Yeah, those they'd be very high too. It's tough because there's they're you know they're individual ones too. It's hard to yeah. really. But I let's just say I put it at in this list number two. That's where I had it. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's right, let's cool. let's go with that. Like that would be great. Like they they're really fantastic, and they, really you can watch them and watch one or a bunch, and you're yeah. just like it's very satisfying. And that's all right. Super. So at oh, number yeah. eight, then what do you have? Number eight. Uh, the bottom of the, my list is the same as my bottom of the list for Batman. <laughs> it is Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Gotcha. An affront to humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Your hate for that film just gives me so much life. <laughs> it's it's incredible. Um, my number eight is my very first Superman film, Superman 4 Quest for Peace. Um, it's it just, barely even a movie. It's barely even a movie. It's barely even a. It's barely even a TikTok. Like <laughs> it's like that's the kind of budget they're working off of, and it's like, it's not even. It's not worth watching. So at number seven, what do you have? Superman for the quest for peace. Nice, yeah. because Hold it's on. like the only thing that it has on Batman piece Superman is it's got Reef. That's it. That's true. You, know, you got that, and that's got something to it, and. Um. Yeah. Oh, but it's bad though. So yeah. bad. Yeah. At um at my number seven, I have Justice League. Okay. The o- literally, the only reason is just the budget, and it's prettier to look at. That's yes. really like they are pretty neck and neck. Otherwise. Yeah. It, it. Yeah. Even then, sometimes that movie looks terrible. Oh, for sure. Like Batman laying on the lawn and stuff like that. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, something's definitely bleeding. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so at number six, what do you have? Justice League. Yes. Nice. Because of all those reasons. And it's just a, it's a really not, nothing. It's a nothing burger of a movie. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, you're number six. Uh, my number six is Superman three because it just, that was purely a film that was like, hey, remember Superman one? <laughs> but worse. And it's yeah. like none of it really works. Um, besides, again, Reeve, who is trying his best, but is just weighed down by so much backstage politics that he just he can't he can't put out a good performance because of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, my number five is all, is Superman three. Nice. No. We're we're ping ponging this back and forth. It's interesting. Yeah, I think the the spanner in between us is Batman v Superman. I think yes. is, is what's kind of offset our list. Because um, Superman three is also not a movie that I never need never need to see. I never need to see Superman three, Justice League, Superman four, or Batman v Superman again. I don't need to see any of them. Like if Agreed. I never saw them again, it's fine. I could <laughs> I could watch Shazam instead with that free time. And you should. Absolutely. Uh, My number five, speaking about that bottom tier, is Batman v Superman. Um, I don't have the burning hate fire that you have for it, but um, it is definitely a hugely flawed movie that just doesn't like Superman. 
It doesn't. Yeah. You you're like you're like you have problems with it, but you're cool with it. I'm Mark yeah. Wade screaming in the theater, you yeah. know, <laughs> at Batman <laughs> Superman. I think he that was him at Man of Steel. I'm sure he never yeah. watched Batman oh. Superman. He'd be dead. He would have dropped dead. Oh, absolutely. Rolled three times in his grave and then come back as a zombie. Like that's <laughs> how much it would have killed him. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your number four? My number four is Man of Steel. Nice. Um, because there's a lot of stuff I like about it. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about it. And it can never get any higher than that because I will rewatch it again. Um, but I don't like have a burning desire to watch it again. Um, the good stuff's good. The bad stuff's bad. And it's hard to reconcile the two like we were talking about. Agreed. Yeah. So my number, f- my number four is uh, Superman. Wait, what am I looking? Okay, sorry, I'm, my computer glitched out. Um, my number four is also Man of Steel. So mm-hmm. it's it was very close between this and number three. It was tough because um, I really every time I watch Man of Steel, I watch it like with this hope that somehow it's better. Mm-hmm. And like it never is. And like the things that it does well, it does okay, but it doesn't outweigh all the stuff that it does wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So your number three. My number three is Superman two. Um interesting. That is also my number three. Huh. Well let's chat about that. Uh yeah, like it's sort of like a man of steel problem too, right? Like mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff doesn't work. It doesn't work for different reasons. Right. Um, the comedic stuff and just the odd, just oddball nature of it. Yeah. The odd and choices. Then and then it's got some good stuff. All the stuff that Richard Donner wanted to put in there. Yeah. And Reeve yeah. and, you know, Zod and, you know, Lois and that sort of stuff. It's good. But the other stuff, it just makes it such a weird disjointed experience. It's hard to really enjoy it a lot. Agreed. I, I don't like a lot of the changes they made all of- all, pretty much all of Richard Lester's involvement is just not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. I love the dynamic between um, Superman and Lois. I love the idea of the Kryptonians coming down. Um, I like the aspect, the very Spider-Man 2 aspect, where he gives up his powers mm-hmm. for a little bit. Um, I love at the very beginning of the film where he's shouting at Jor-El that he's going to find his child. Before I will they find all, him. Before they all, you know, go up in the giant penis pods into the Phantom Zone. <laughs> Am I thinking of the wrong film? You might be. You might be. Damn. Well, either way, I find it always funny that <laughs> your punishment will be that you are saved from explosion. <laughs> well, yeah. I just, you know, kill them. Kill them. <laughs> lock them up. Just lock them up in the prison and force them to watch their planet die around them. Exactly. I will find him. <laughs> so i'm assuming our our top two are also going to be very similar um yeah. number two superman returns yes superman yes. returns i uh, did not think i was going to rank it this high yeah i thought for sure it was going to be like maybe top five yes and this is i mean maybe it speaks to the overall quality of a lot of superman films because <laughs> there's yeah. a lot that like it just naturally is above. You're like, it gets this many things right, and the rest don't. You know, mm-hmm. and like, it's charming. It's a charming movie. You know, it absolutely is. And even though there are like rewatching it is kind of 
interesting because of Kevin Spacey, Brian mm-hmm. Singer. Um, it you really get to enjoy kind of the world. It still feels lived in um, in that kind of Batman the Animated Series way where there's like really like old school architecture, but modern yeah. technology. Mm-hmm. I still think even though he I would say he might have been just aesthetically too young to play Superman. Ralph does a great job mm-hmm. as Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the only thing I really have never been able to enjoy on any of my rewatches is um, is Lois. Yeah, that's right. She's kind it, of a weak point. It just it feels really disconnected. Yeah, and it's yeah, not like true. it's not like because I mean I, this isn't a judgment on Kate Bosworth's like acting, but it's just like I feel like someone else with that material could have done more with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and yes, the Kevin Spacey of it all. I believe you know the podcast <laughs> Blank Check. Do you know that I've one? heard of it. I've never it's, listened though. It's good. Uh, they're talking about the concession for um, movies that have people you you have a problem with oh really like, like kevin spacey and you know how usually you have the and and yes. marlon brando well for someone right. like kevin spacey it would be but but <laughs> <Kevin Spacey. laughs> brandon ralph kate bosworth but kevin spacey <laughs> that's amazing oh and the oh the personality in that is so yeah all these great people but Kevin Spacey. But Kevin Spacey. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And then, of course, number one had to be, it was the first, it was the best Superman from 1978. Yes. It's so, it's iconic. I, I have rewatched it. That's one of the things when I was um, just a, you know, self-referential back to episodes of this podcast. Um, our episode 100, I did like my full pitch on what, how I would do a Superman film. Mm-hmm. And uh, to put that all together, I was rewatching a bunch of stuff. Um, Superman versus the elite, uh, mm-hmm. reading a bunch of comics back for all seasons, birthright, um, secret origins, and then rewatching this. I hadn't watched Superman in probably at least five or six years. Mm-hmm. And it felt like such a breath of fresh air, the score, the acting, the characterization, the setting, yeah. everything about it just felt such like Superman. Yeah, it it really gets it all. And it has all the the charm and the quality and the aesthetics of a of a classic film, too. It mm. feels of its time, too, in a good way. You yeah. know, um, not a lot of superhero movies age that way. You know, yeah. we've talked we talked about Batman. You know, mm-hmm. Tim Burton's Batman has a very strange, you know, aging <laughs> to it. Um, but Superman turned into like a, a film classic. It's it's great. Um, yeah. It's just it's very enjoyable. One thing that was uh, uh, I forgot to talk about the the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. that opens with the the movie theater drapes the opening curtain. Yeah, yeah curtain, and it starts as a as more of the uh, the um, Hollywood ratio, the the old like box ratio and little kid talking about superman comics and introducing it and then you go in and then it opens up widescreen and then you get the giant score and all the yeah oh my gosh it's so good like like that's that's how every comic book movie should open up basically just like this child sitting in this theater next to like 
probably an old man who's never you know watched a superhero movie before it's like all right so in this in this one there's a guy named t'challa he's from wakanda and like (laughs) it just like just goes into that and then it like opens up because it really sets the tone it's just like this is it it gives that famous like alan moore quote where it's like this is an imaginary story but aren't they all yeah and it's like oh it get it just immediately, and then the score, da 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 da. It so gets you. It gets me hyped every time yeah. I watch it, and I'm Absolutely. just like, just bouncing up and down. I just I gotta stand up, and it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I love that film so much. That's great. Okay, th- that was number one. I have one question for you. Yes, I love questions. Of all the unmade proposed Superman movies, oh. if you could make one of them. What would it be? You have oh, the power. Oh, oh. It does, and don't worry about changing the timeline and suddenly, you know, other things don't happen. But all these abandoned projects, what's it going to be? You can just suddenly blink it into existence. This is now a real movie. So you've got oh, Superman 5, man. you know, where he goes into Candor. Superman Reborn, where he uh, impregnates Lois um, with Oof. himself. Um it's a very uh, Ms. Marvel thing to have happened. Uh, Superman lives, you know, with all the, the sassy robot and the polar bear and the spider. The original Batman versus Superman, which is, you know, a couple of sad dads duking it. And uh, <laughs> Superman flyby where um, uh, Jor-El commits ritualistic suicide to help his son. They're all such good ideas it's like trying to pick between five children who aren't my children (laughs) (laughs) um you know what just because of everything that went into it and how um interwoven into the fabric of society the myth of it is i would probably go with superman lives Mm -hmm. just to Mm -hmm. see just to see what the hell would happen. Yes. Yeah. I I I agree. Now it would it would be um captivating disaster. Yes. Yeah. It is it's it's a car crash movie. You just you watch it and you know it's gonna be awful. And think think about this. If this had come out, you know, when it was supposed to come out, it would have literally been Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Superman Lives. Yeah. In the span of two to three years. Yeah, like that hmm. could have that could have single handedly destroyed the comic book movie landscape. For I think, oh yeah, not just comic book movies. I think all comic books in existence would have spontaneously burst into flames, <laughs> um, and it would be really hard for the industry to recover from. But it would be very interesting, given the everything that's known about it and what it would have been. But it's still not possible to really imagine it, you know, right? With, without it actually existing. And you yeah. can't go back and do it now. Even if you had the same script and the same actors yeah, and the same director, it wouldn't be the same. Though there has been, I guess, Kevin Smith has pitched a couple times doing it as an animated film. That would be interesting. Nicholas Cage voicing Superman. Because he voiced Superman already for uh, Teen Titans Go to the Movies. That's apparently. right. Yes. I never watched that movie, but I heard that he was Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say go for it. Yeah, that they're wrapping up their animated movies with um, Dark Side War. Yeah, and they're not gonna. And then the new Fifty Two and our connected movies are gonna be done. Oh, 
Yeah, they're way more interesting when they just go for the weird, the weird. So we're going to do this and this and this. And I don't yeah. really care about this overarching narrative that they're doing um, with their new 52 stuff. New 52 has been dead for so long, too. What's the point? Like, yeah. um, it's so it's so weird. Like I was um, I was doing research for another episode and it's so interesting looking back on it now because it feels like, you know, we were in the new 52 for like two decades. But it was just a five year period. It was five years and then it was done. And we yeah. moved on into Rebirth. And it's so strange. Because, like, when you're in the middle of it, even in, like, 2015, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, this has been the longest 25 years of my life. And then we <laughs> continuity. But it's, like, it's so interesting looking back on it and really seeing what it was yeah. retroactively. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's It's a weird period of a lot of, like, half swings. You know, half swings to think like, kind of do this. Uh, never mind. Or no, we're gonna do this. Uh, never mind. I'm gonna bunt instead. Um, I don't know. It's strange. Yeah, it did but, feel like a long time. And even Rebirth has been around for a while now. Even that's kind of gone now. Yeah, now, I, I feel like Rebirth was only around for like two years. It feels like it was really two years, and they started futzing with it. And then let's not even get started on Doomsday Clock. Um, I. I love Doomsday Clock. I I'm, we're we're gonna have to agree to disagree. I'm, I'm sure. so glad we're at the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you are correct. We we have come to the end. Um, first off, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. It's always a pleasure getting to talk to you about stuff. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. Let's do X Men. Let's do Spider Man. Uh, let's do Star Trek. Let's do Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> The golden age of Blade films. I just saw that um, High Top Films, Godzilla Mendoza, and Captain Midnight are doing a trio of videos on the three Blade movies. Oh my so god, are they? They are. Um, oh, that that might just be the YouTube Holy Trilogy. <laughs> so happen. there's never a better time to talk about Blade Trinity. Um, <laughs> and... Let's talk about, you know, all two Hellboy movies. There was not a third ever. Are you sure? Um, I feel like I heard something about it. No, they, they canceled that. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> but yeah, always, always really a pleasure. Can't wait to have you on the show again next. Um, where can our listeners find you if they want to check out your social medias, your YouTube channel, your highly successful YouTube channel? It's semi-successful. Uh, Matt Draper on YouTube. That's it. It's very much easy to find because it's me. And on Twitter, it's Matt Draper YT YT for YouTube, where I talk about why I hate YouTube. Um, yeah, and, there you go. And you can also harass him on about Spawn on Twitter, ha- as far as I understand. Hashtag Spawn. You know? Hashtag Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Diego. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, honestly, uh, Matt's channel is incredible. Um, if you are going directly there from here, his episodes on uh, the Superman Rebirth run, Superman um, for all seasons, his episode on whatever happened is one of my favorites. I go back to it every now and then because it's just a great analysis of one of the best stories of all time. So well, thanks. That's one of my favorite videos, too. It's it's really great. It, it it always hits me when you read the quote of like it looked like he was crying. Like it always for some reason. Mm, like it mm. always hits me in the gut. 
But um, once again, thank you so much for being on this episode. Look forward to doing more soon. And um, yeah. Do you have any, uh, any final words on the Superman films? One day we'll get another good one. It may not be anytime soon, but it will happen one day. And that brings us to the final segment of the show, the wrap-up. If you enjoyed any of the stuff that we talked about today, feel free to give us a rating and review, especially on iTunes. really helps us out. And if you give us a five-star review, I will read it on the podcast. I would love to get feedback. I love getting feedback on this show. This ultimately is a podcast for geeks by a geek. So I love interacting with you guys on this. And you can also feel free to follow us and... And interact with us on social media at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If this is the first time you are joining us, feel free to give us a follow. And also feel free to send requests and questions. If anyone sends in a question and wants it read on the air, I will absolutely do that. Uh, feel free to send any and all questions or just wanting to connect and talk comics to geeksplained at gmail.com. Uh, ultimately, it really does help getting us to um, get in the orbit and the atmosphere of other listeners just like you. So please subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Give us a rating. Give us a review. I really do appreciate it. And feel free to let me know on social media, through email, however you want to do it, um, what you think about the Superman films. Uh, Where do you rank the films? Do you have a favorite film? What was your first Superman film? Would love to have a conversation with you about that. And speaking of conversations, big thank you to Matt Draper um, for coming back on the podcast, talking Superman films. We always go long on these <laughs> these talks. Uh, last time, go with Batman films. We had to go through 16 films along with um, rankings and stuff. And we were like, there's no way. There's not as many Superman films. Uh, It definitely won't go as long. And it was almost just as long as the Batman film. So one day we're going to get it under two hours, but it is not this day. So um, again, big thank you from, to Matt for coming on. Um, His YouTube channel is amazing. I'm a huge fan of his. He is the person responsible for uh, linking me up with the band The Midnight. I love that band. It's one of my favorites. Um, And it's all thanks to Matt Draper. So if you are a fan of someone who knows their comics, knows their music, and knows how to talk about both, check out his YouTube channel. Um, Also, we talked about it. Go on YouTube. Check out At Home Comic Con. Big event that they did um, a few weekends ago. It is so much fun. Uh, every panel is fantastic. I'm partial to the uh, creating the Perfect Superman game panel. Everybody did a fantastic job on that. And they raised $7,500 for charity. It's really, really cool. So definitely go check out that check out matt check out podcast and you have yourself a great rest of your week i'm also really excited to announce that next week marks the uh marks the changeover from april to may and in that we're going to be doing something pretty special we're doing a series in may called anime i know it's dumb but 
The Geek Explained anime is basically every week we're going to be tackling a specific topic when it comes to anime. I have a whole litany of guests that I'm really, really excited about to get on the podcast just to talk anime. They've been asking about doing uh, anime episodes for pretty much since the beginning of this podcast. So I'm really excited for us to uh, get into those conversations and for you to join us for those conversations. So look forward to that next week. Kicks off Geek Explains Annie May. I know. Again, it's dumb, but I love it. I love it so much. So look forward to that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.